What is happening, everybody? My name is Julius. And I'm Angel. We are here. Yes, we are finally here to discuss the long-awaited cut by Zack Snyder of Justice League. Obviously, we had gotten a Justice League film back in 2017, but here we are with the real shit, as it were. Uh, for those who've been following these past couple of weeks, we have had a series going on each day until the release of the Snyder Cut called The Journey to the Snyder Cut, where we discuss every single DCEU film. We have a lot of great guests. Angel's on the first one with Man of Steel as the main discussion. And here we are to close this series out with a live stream about the film itself. So first of all, Angel, how are you doing? Are you excited to talk about this? Oh, man, I am doing awesome. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for constructing such incredible videos with special guests. I honestly, this experience has been so memorable for me. And for us to go through each movie, dissecting every aspect of every single DC movie is exactly the reason that reminds me as to why we are such big fans of these characters, of these stories. And to end it with such an epic night that was to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, it was the perfect way to experience this during a pandemic. So Julius, to you, thank you so much. And everyone who is watching now, we appreciate you. Julius has constructed an efficient show today. We are going to dissect this bad boy uh, from from chapter one to chapter six to the epilogue. It is going to be so exciting. So thank you, my friend, and thank you to everybody in the chat right now watching. Of course. Well, you have to be efficient when you have to talk about something as big and as staggering as a Snyder Cut, a four-hour film. You don't want to leave anything out. So we're going to get through this whole thing. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about what we loved, what we didn't, <laughs> what could have been better, what was perfect. Uh, there are a lot of comments, obviously. Wolf Havarg <laughs> is <laughs> hashtagging restore the Snyder Cut or Snyder Verse, which is a very big thing right now. And Angel, I second very that. Well, very quickly, very quickly, how do you feel about this Restore the Snyderverse? I know Warner Brothers apparently has said something along the lines of we're not continuing with this uh, take on the DC universe. How do you feel about that? Oh, man, I'm fully on board. I'm fully on board. The second that we stopped watching that movie, I was like, Restore the Snyderverse. And if they don't, I will destroy them. Because here's why. <laughs> how, can you watch, how can you watch that movie and not think – of all the potential that they can do, um, especially with that ending, how can you not want to continue this uh, universe, especially with how hopeful and optimistic this movie was? This movie was so beautiful, man. So for me, I completely believe that Zack Snyder has actually found his groove with this movie. With the time that he had, he was able to actually find the perfect uh, notch to dial this at and, and give us a really well-done film that I think warrants a restore the Snyderverse. Not only does it make sense emotionally, but financially, this is an HBO exclusive. If right. we make content for their streaming service, it would be ignorant not to continue this. I'm fully on board. Restore the Snyderverse and Wolf Havarg, thank you so much for getting me hyped. No, I agree. I feel like it's kind of dumb not to even go further with it. It's obviously a big success. Critically, it's probably the most successful critical, uh, at least speaking, thing that Zack Snyder has done within this universe of his films. So it's a, you're pleasing a lot of different aspects financially, uh, critically. There's just so much power to this movement and to this film 
that it doesn't really make sense. I mean, maybe it's some sort of Sony Spider-Man Marvel type deal where they said we're taking it, we're taking him out of the MCU. But then there was nego- <laughs> negotiations, quote unquote, to keep him in. I don't know what anything <laughs> is that. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, exactly. But with this, we know for sure. Look, there is potential for more stories to be told in this universe. Why not? You know, Cody Castillo in the chat says, this is war, y'all. And I absolutely agree, Cody. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> I agree. Like, I I need to see what happens next. I need to see it, especially with one of those frames near the Angelus, uh, a, a face showdown for the ages. Oh, we'll talk about it, man. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> so before anything, before we even talk about the movie, I want to know your experience before starting it. What was the air in the room like? What were you doing? Oh, man, you know exactly what the room was like. <laughs> I think we were all like hyperventilating, getting started, uh, getting ready to watch this. Honestly, that day was so cool. My brother and I decided to watch Man of Steel again, BVS. And near the end of BVS, actually, all of you guys caught us uh, when you guys came over to watch it. And yeah. I, I really loved the experience because for me, even though there are things in Man of Steel and BVS that I don't like or necessarily agree with, you know, I love that we have a certain attitude, even when it comes to criticism, where we can watch something, sit down and be like, that was cool. Or like, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. You know, I really love that because I'm not somebody and I know you aren't either who wants to pick a movie apart, you know, the whole time, because right. then honestly, that's not fun for me. I think what's really fun, especially when it comes to bad movies is highlighting the the gem moments, you know, and, and both of those movies definitely do have it. So the anticipation was fantastic. And then watching the movie itself was a whole different animal. So exhilarating and so rewarding. One of my favorite memories in recent memory. No, I agree. I mean, I got there to your place by the end of Batman versus Superman, where, you know, you got the fight at the very end. And there were some moments where I was like, man, that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I agree. I was like, oh, man, I kind of missed that. You know, that was interesting. That was a fun part. Yeah. But then we got to the movie eventually. It started. And right beforehand, we were saying, I want to love this. You know, I want to love this. I want this to be (laughs) it. You know, I don't want to hate what I want to love. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And then we start it in your initial thoughts, the very beginning. (sighs) What did you say? I was blown away. I was blown away with Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. And before I share my initial reactions, I just want to say thank you so much, Tristan, for joining us. This is his first time he's joining us. Thank you so much, Tristan. You're awesome. Love engaging with you, man. He says, OMG, I am here finally. Yes, man. Yes. And Cody says, I stayed up till 6 a.m. watching it. Well, we (laughs) stayed up really late, too. My initial reaction, Julius, after watching Zack Snyder's Justice League, I honestly think it solidified that we are in the golden age of comic book movies. Finally, not only do we have an exceptional Marvel movie with the Avengers, but now we can say to our children, we lived during the time where we saw a Justice League that served justice to these characters that we absolutely love. And honestly, I think it's all thanks to Zack Snyder himself. He gets so much hate, man, and Honestly, sometimes I feel like it's way too much. But I think during this time, in hindsight, 
He came to direct, my friend, thinking about the tragedy, thinking about the pandemic, thinking about, you know, uh, Warner Brothers replacing him even without his own like approval, which we learned later down the line. That was the truth without his own approval. The film that he was able to create, I honestly think it was a miracle. And it's easily one of my favorite comic book movies ever. And it's because it reminded me of those lot of those cartoons that we grew up watching. A lot of moments, man, felt like live action versions of that cartoon, which I was just so taken aback by. I think I could speak for both of us that this was both of us for sure. Looking <laughs> at that 2017 cut and now looking at Justice League, Zack Snyder's version. <laughs> Such except an most experience. people except most people weren't even holding the original Justice League's hand. <laughs> I know, right? We were like, oh, man, we, it was just so upsetting. So the improvement, I think, was ridiculous. I think they were able to enhance everything, everything from the writing to the emotional moments with the characters that I thought were most significant and also the music itself. Everything was an enhancement. Everything was an upgrade about this movie. And honestly, my favorite part about this is that this movie was really focused on fractured heroes. Right. It was focused on fractured heroes, all of them. And we'll dive into why more as we dive into, you know, the nitty gritty details that you establish. It was about fractured heroes, gods among men dealing with human dilemmas and overcoming those odds and making their parents proud by doing the right thing. That's what this movie is about. And that's why I loved it so much, man. Yeah, well, I definitely agree in that this was so the, the number one thing that this was was enjoyable which I couldn't say about the movies that were before it. You know, I felt that the first two films took itself very like too seriously. And I understand they were trying to achieve these heady concepts, but this wasn't really trying to do any of that. It was just more about its story of gathering the team. There were some really strong thematic qualities of faith, which we'll definitely get into uh, later on, which was very, uh, very worked a lot for me, uh, especially with certain characters. Oh yeah. And And, and though, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I absolutely love that you brought that up because I know both of you and I were screaming with words, like literally words being said by these characters. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's perfect, but I'm not, I wasn't ever asking for a perfect film. I wasn't asking for a masterpiece. I was asking for a movie that was fun and that represented these characters in a better way than it had been established beforehand. In this, Batman acts like Batman. The Flash acts like the Flash. Aquaman acts more like an Aquaman, and as does Wonder Woman. And the characters have something to do. Cyborg has something to do. When Superman comes in, it's a similar, it's in similar flat fashion to how he was utilized in the 2017 cut. But it does feel more congruent with what was set up before. And there were actual moments in this where Superman, he felt like Superman, you know, which was the most bizarre thing because that's one of our shared criticisms of the Zack Snyder tone of uh, superheroes in general is that they are mythic more so than human. Mm -hmm. And this was like a perfect, like I, I remember saying during the screening, okay, so he can do it. He can direct it, you know, to making these people feel more like people, you know. Um, But there's obviously going to be that artsy God quality to it. But I do appreciate that when you see Superman, they establish Clark first. You know, they show the the impact he left, even though, you know, in the other two films, maybe you didn't feel it as much. In this, you do, I feel like. I feel like you do feel his Clarkisms more. 
And um, hopefully it opens up the door to him getting a Superman film, becoming more of a Clark. Uh, not that I want a carbon copy of what we get on Superman most, because I think that's perfect. Yes. But I do want Henry Cavill to get that moment where he can show his Clark being Clark. God damn it. Yeah. And he showed it a lot in this movie. I'm so glad that yeah. you brought up Superman because I think what they were able to do with Superman was remarkable. And it's because they utilize him in a way where he wasn't really the sole focus. With this version of the movie, which is a completely different film, by the way, from the 2017 movie. Cody in the chat yeah. mentioned that the first five minutes were instantly better than the whole 2017 version. I agree with that. And I think both you and I were like, this is new. Like, this is completely yeah, different. Very different. And it's because of how they set up Superman. Superman cannot do this alone. And they were able to establish the Justice League, why they were able to unite, and what it means to be a team. And I love that you mentioned that it also has that mythological aspect to it, right? Because that's how Zack Snyder views these characters. They are gods. But what's great about that take is that whenever they do show their human qualities, like with Clark, it stands out like a sore thumb. And I think that's why this movie was so significant. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, one last question I have before we get into the nitty-gritty, the, the nits and the grits. I want to know <laughs> your thoughts on two things. I want to know your thoughts on the R rating and the aspect ratio. It was four by three, I believe. Um, yes. It was the academy ratio. So do what, what do you think about those two main aspects of the film? Do you think they added anything? Did they take anything away from it? So the R rating, this is definitely not a kid's movie, right? Uh, mm. But that for me is not a fault in the movie because for me, I enjoyed the hell out of it. For it to have an R rating, I think they were able to use that R rating to serve the story as best as they can, which was to elevate the intensity of their villains, right? So Steppenwolf and Darkseid, I mean, seeing Darkseid slice the hand of that Green Lantern and stab him in the chest, intense and intimidating. Same thing with Steppenwolf, seeing the blood as he's like cutting these Amazonians apart, I thought was really great. And it, it, it kept me hooked because I was like, I cannot wait to see these heroes take this villain down. So I really loved the R rating aspect of this movie. The 4-3 aspect ratio at first is like, it's jarring, right? Because we're so used to 16 by 9 widescreen, but to see the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, I think the film looked better than the 2017 version. So for me, that's already like a yes to the 4-3 aspect ratio. And of course, I didn't notice anymore once we were invested in the story, which is most important. Yeah, uh, when it comes to the R rating, I don't think there was anything in this that really stood out as R rating. I don't think it needed to be that. There are obviously the F-bombs and everything. They're like, I think I counted four <laughs> in it. And those weren't necessary. <laughs> those weren't really like, oh, I, I needed that. You know, when you watch yeah, something like when you watch something like Joker, you understand why this is an R-rated film. The world is very dark. The Joker is very disturbed. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance lends to an R rating. There's yes. just more to it that makes sense of it being R-rated. With this, uh, the, the, there weren't instances really of insane gore you would expect from like say evil dead the 2013 remake or even the right. original right where the r rating is there because they want to have as much fun with the gore as possible with this i mean you see a lot of what you mentioned was from afar and uh, when you when you brought up the hand being cut off 
That's true, but I feel like, especially after something like Endgame, we had seen things like that in a PG-13 yes. environment. Like, Thanos gets, like, beheaded, <laughs> you know, as does uh, one person in this film. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if the R rating was necessary. I feel like it was just there because they wanted to push the boundaries, you know? They probably wanted to test something, you know? Maybe this was Zack Snyder saying, look, I'm not going to have another chance, so I'm going to do as much of what I want in this film as possible yeah. and that includes making an r-rated superhero film uh do you think uh, like because uh, i know that the batman versus superman ultimate cut was uh an r-rated version um what what do, did you think that it made sense then and that it works stretched over here no i i don't think if i'm making a movie like this or you know movies called superman versus batman i personally wouldn't make them r-rated just because I feel like they can work in that PG-13, PG environment. I think the themes should be universal to everybody, not just to a, you know, niche audience like adults and stuff like that. You know, you know, people like us. Uh, that's my um, preference. I feel like the R rating can really help tell a graphic novel uh, and, and bring that to life in the best way possible. You know, something like a Watchmen, I think, deserves an R rating. Uh, but something like this, it doesn't need it, but I thought the execution of it was... Um, effective. Well, speaking of which, Wolf brought up an interesting point. Atlanteans getting cut in half deserved that R rating. That's true. <laughs> you know, that's true. But I mean, I don't know if we're talking about just straight up violence and battle scenes. I feel like there's so much of that could that could be cut out. Like, like what I'm talking about are things that are like integral to the narrative of the story mm -hmm. that would war like in Joker. He kills his mother in a very brutal way. He kills that guy who gave him the gun in brutal ways. These are things that get the the character to where he needs to be. Whereas that, it's a fight scene. I, I don't know. I feel like there's plenty of stuff that could be cut out to save that PG-13 rating. But then again, I'm not complaining that it's R. I'm just saying, like, oh, is it necessary? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, does Cyborg and Batman have to say the F word? You know, do they have to? Like, you you are a writer. You're in charge of them. Do they have to say it? No. When they do say it, does it say something about them? I, I would think so. I mean, it's, it says something about their frustration towards the mm -hmm. world and stuff like that. So it, it makes sense. I, I, I'm not at a point where it's like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I kind of felt like that. You with the did Batman. with Cyborg. <laughs> I, I, I felt like that, I think, more so with the Batman now um, because I'm like, it just it, it just felt like a throw in, you know, it just felt like yeah. a throw in. But it doesn't hurt the movie at all. I still loved it so much. And I just want to say thank you so much to Asia for joining us. She says this movie was a masterpiece. I stayed up till 7 a.m. watching it. <laughs> totally, totally uh, share your enthusiasm, Asia. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I got to say that it when Cyborg did say the, drop it, it took me out for a second because I was reminded of um, Dark Phoenix when Cyclops dropped it. It's like, <laughs> if you touch it, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It totally was like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay i think we should get started everyone i just want you to know that we will be addressing your chat questions after chapter three we're going to take a break in between chapters three and four to split up the half so get your questions in we will address them by that point yes please. uh so we're going to start let's go to chapter one which is don't count on it batman 
Okay, so we start with the opening. We have a new look, a new perspective at the death of Superman at the very end of Batman versus Superman. This affected the whole world and not uh, only physically, but spiritually. His scream, his literal screams after being impaled by Doomsday travel on and on. So uh, throughout the whole world, everyone feels it. Uh, so Angel, what were your thoughts on this new perspective on the moment that you and I were not so keen on in Batman versus Superman? Yeah. I mean, the reason I wasn't so keen on it is because again, I just felt like I wasn't so connected to the Superman before experiencing his death. Right. And I was just like, Oh man, I love this character so much. It, it, why would they kill him? You know, like so immediately it felt rushed, but seeing this new opening for the 2017 version, it's already, you know, milestones ahead of what occurred in uh, 2017. I mean, when you get that found footage with the CGI lip around the mustache, <laughs> atrocious. It, it was so bad that I almost wanted to walk out just from the opening. For this opening here, I was stuck to my seat. And I remember telling you, I was like, yo, this is so cool how they're opening it up. Like, I love seeing the screams travel across the world and you see it impact uh, the other civilizations, you know, like the Atlanteans, the Amazonians. And, um, you know, it, it just adds to their connection. And so I thought it was a really great setup to showcase, okay, things are really bad here. You know, Superman is dead. Now there is an impending doom on the way. So I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy that we got – I enjoy when there's a slight retcons like that where you have – a new perspective on a big moment and uh they're definitely incorporating superman into this world in a in a way that the world needs him which is ironic because in batman versus superman they were trying to get rid of him they were protesting him you know they were saying that they hated him but now they know that superman was on their side they knew he was there and that guilt is just on Batman, you know, throughout the whole film. Yeah. He's like, man, I kind of messed up the last movie. <laughs> I'm kind of stupid. Yeah. You know, Batman has that realization where he's not the brightest guy, except in this film where, you know, he's, he's acting a bit more like Batman. And speaking of which, the next scene we have Bruce finding Aquaman, asking for his help, but Arthur Curry tells him no. Uh, we get a prolonged scene where the villagers sing Aquaman off into the ocean. You get these women who sing this very uh, uh, dreary song, uh, I guess, praising Aquaman for what he does. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? What did this moment say for the rest of the film for you? I loved this interaction between Batman and Aquaman just because it said so much about where the team was at. And so when they do come together, it feels so rewarding. Right. For Aquaman to be like, no. And thank goodness we don't have that fish joke, you know, just because I felt like this scene here established the tone and established what Batman needed to do to get these incredible people together. Right. We saw previously Superman screaming and I was screaming like that the whole time with you, you know, and, and, and for it to lead into Batman's venture into bringing the league together so that he can make Superman proud and not allow him to die in vain. This was the goddamn Justice League, my guy. <laughs> uh, what, what specifically did you think about the prolonged moment where the women are singing that song? What, what did you think about that? Um, I thought it was fine. I, 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 
I like the respect that they had for Aquaman. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't understand him, but they knew the power that he commanded. So it it honestly seemed like they were honoring him. You know, and right. it kind of just it for me it indicated to me that Aquaman has so much potential to be not only a leader for the ocean, but a leader for the world. Yeah, I could see that. That scene definitely indicated to me the the way that style was being portrayed in this film. You know, it's it's a very long scene where it's them singing Aquaman off, you know, to the to the ocean, to everything. And they don't cut for a while. It takes a moment for that scene to really end. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was thinking, okay, this is cool and everything. I'm just hoping that uh, the movie doesn't get bogged down in style. And we will discuss whether it did or not as the more scenes come in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I could definitely see what you mean when it comes to them honoring. I mean, she looked like like kind of thirsting for uh, Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic because she's near an ocean right there. <laughs> Yeah, but but it was a cool scene and much better. You know, can you at least point me in the direction of Atlanta? Oh my goodness! I mean, Get it, out of here. It, you can tell what the reshots were in that 2017 oh, yeah. version, and I can't wait till we talk about probably the most significant advancement when you didn't have a reshot, which involves our main boy who is fast as hell. <laughs> right. So now, after that scene, we get a moment with Wonder Woman fighting a bunch of nihilists. So, okay, what were your thoughts on this fight? And also, your thoughts on the depiction of heroism in this scene? I I think for me, this scene was like the one that told me, I'm going to love this movie. I'm going to love this movie. Uh, Because even with the R rating, seeing these people trying to kill these children with machine guns, when Wonder Woman came in and and broke through that door, bro, it was epic as hell i mean seeing her stop one bullet was enough for me seeing her stop a machine gun was lit and oh man we were we it was a party in my house it was a party it was not only was that the best part julius i i love that you are highlighting the heroic moments in this movie because this movie is filled with them filled with great heroic moments and for me the standout was of course when she was talking to that little girl and she was like i want to be like you someday and she's like you can be anything you want to be and it's moments like that julius that can make or break a movie and that kind of scene there made the movie for me you know what i mean and that's not the only one you have other scenes too with ezra ezra miller's the flash when he says he was my hero you know talking about superman a moment like that can make a movie for you and for me that wonder woman scene was like i'm gonna love this film Oh, come on, man. Yeah, that was that was kind of insane, especially when she gets fired at with that machine gun and she just just takes care of it so quickly. The music there, I thought, fit really well. It reminded me of a lot of the scenes in the first Wonder Woman film, and it does feel like a cool transition from Wonder Woman 2017 to this because this was supposed to come out the same time, you know? And it feels like, yeah, that that makes sense, you know. And, and I love that she's acting a lot more like that Diana. Yeah. And it's just it's just nuts. Every part it's like, of it. It's like a perfect blend, right? They had that 
2017 version of Diana and the best parts of her character in 1984 melded into one, right? And we mm-hmm. that's why we get such a great moment between her and the girl. And I'm so glad Cody brought this up in the chat. The music, though, every time Wonder Woman appears. Yes. Shout out to Junkie XL, who recomposed the music for this movie he gave us four hours of iconic uplifting music that i absolutely love the, the music that they use not only the Hans zimmer but the one with like the uh there's like no lines in it it's just like a woman singing beautifully <laughs> i loved it so freaking the much, district man. nine music so much <laughs> yeah, yes exactly it is the district nine music that is <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great comparison. Yes, man. Yes. Even though it is funny when uh, she beheads Steppenwolf and it's taking its sweet ass time with that <laughs> that 300 take on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. So epic. <laughs> so epic. So epic. <laughs> oh, and, the, and uh, I also brought up the heroism. I enjoyed that. We actually got a nice moment <laughs> between Wonder Woman and these young girls who are worried about being executed. Like, where was any, where was this shit? You know what I mean? Like, I really honestly was having trouble believing that this was a Zack Snyder scene. You know what I mean? Based on what he had done with the other films where, you know, where a superhero would save someone, but it would almost be more for aesthetic reasons. You know, you get that montage of him with the person at the fiery fired building, him carrying that ship and everything, the people surrounding him. And I felt those were there for the cinematography's sake, but here it felt like there was some the heart to it. You know, this felt like there was a character sake in it. You know, Wonder Woman actually did worry about these people, and there was no guilt. <laughs> there was no guilt in feeling like bad about saving the people. I just felt like it was a much better depiction of what a superhero should do. You yeah, know, of course. And even when she kills them, like it's not as. I think questionable as Batman's actions in BBS, you know, they literally have a machine gun towards these kids. And so she's doing whatever she can to stop uh, them from getting killed. So it's like, and she's a mighty warrior too. So it's not, she's not Batman. Yeah. It's not the same situation as Batman where Batman is so cool to be able to be like, I'll take you out without taking you out. You know what I mean? Sick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This was definitely even though when she did she did the uh the the bracelet thing to that one guy, just the one guy here here take take a blast for twenty, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You're fast. Just <laughs> unarm him. <laughs> All right. Afterwards, we got a scene where the mother boxes are introduced. In Themyscira, the box opens, leading to Steppenwolf's arrival. We get a scene where he and his parademons swarm the Amazons, eventually leading to Steppenwolf's acquirement of the cube. Now, Angel, how did you feel during this whole scene? And what did you think about this depiction of Steppenwolf? Oh, I was filled with adrenaline. Talk about an upgrade, not only in look, but in character as well. And in lines of dialogue. Everything was spot on with Steppenwolf. I love seeing him, you know, slash up those Amazonians. It was crazy, man. Absolutely crazy and wild. And honestly, the damage that he was doing, it just made me more excited to see the team take him down 
So they did such an exceptional job with actually turning a one-dimensional character to a three-dimensional, fully fleshed-out character that we actually sympathize for uh, in, I think, near the middle, uh, which I think we'll talk about later. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this Steppenwolf obviously felt more threatening. There was, like, more weight to him. The version we saw beforehand, he really does look like a toy. <laughs> when you look at him in comparison to this, where he does feel more alien in this cut, he feels much more like a monster in this cut. And there, there are just some moments where he, he seems unstoppable. You know, the Amazons have to like completely collapse this chamber where they house the mother box on the, off the side of a cliff just for the hope of taking him out. And then he still comes out with his parademons. It's a prolonged scene of the one we got in the theatrical cut where the Amazons are trading off the box, running, being massacred. You know, their horses are being thrown all over the place. It's just a really awesome chase scene. It establishes his threat much better, you know, and he just feels more like a threat much more than he did before and it probably has to do with his look you know the armor is just much more intimidating there are points where it can spike out which is like oh no oh, oh no <laughs> yeah and also i love the visual effects and the sound yeah. i thought the sound and visual effects were stellar and totally outstanding an improvement, definitely. Like an unexpected... I couldn't believe that they were as good as they were. There were some moments where some of the characters, which we'll talk about, uh, they had that Thanos quality to them in terms of their effects. You know, yeah. the, some of the char the designs, the detail on them, the light bouncing on them. It reminded me a lot of Thanos in Infinity War in terms of their look. You know, so you could tell that the money was really put into making it look great. So true. And I think where he looked amazing along with the parademons is in this scene that T Toner says in the chat. Thank you so much. He says, I like uh, I, I like when they uh, drag out the Atlanteans out of the water. That scene was so sick. So sick. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's an asshole. But, <laughs> but, for, but for better reasons in this, we understand who he is better. He has this complex of being like a mess up. You know what I mean? He's considered a failure on his home world and he's trying to get back. And it makes complete sense now. <laughs> we completely get where he's coming from, which I am so shocked about. Steppenwolf, they made him a better character in this mm -hmm. to where, wow, it was just wow. How did you feel about his motivation in here? I loved it. It reminded me of actually Silver Surfer. Oh, it wow. Reminded me, it reminded me of Silver Surfer because we learned that he's a servant to Darkseid. And all he wants to do is get home, right? Get home to his loved ones. And so I felt that compelling nature to him that reminded me of Silver Surfer. He was just, he, I thought he was just a really solid villain, man. And not only was he enhanced as a character, everybody else was. Everyone. Everybody else. Even the introduction of new characters were fantastic. Like Darkseid and Dasad, bruh. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I was so impressed. I was impressed with the character work because I actually feel like this may be Zack Snyder's strongest work since Dawn of the Dead regarding characters and the emotional beats within them. 
Mm, mm, maybe we may argue. Maybe we may argue, man. <laughs> you brought in Dawn of the Dead. We'll see, man. <laughs> okay, well, now we got through chapter one. Now it's time to talk about the second chapter, which is The Age of Heroes, part two. Now, Angel, this is a chapter that is dedicated to setting up the world, you know, setting up the world before the time of Superman before Wonder Woman, Batman, Wonder Woman is warned of the coming war by her mother. We get the scene where uh, the mother, the queen of it, um, the Amazon Island shoots an arrow to this Greek monastery that acts as a warning, uh, kind of similar to what we got in Lord of the Rings, where they lit the torches on every yes. single mountain. Yes. This is definitely an homage to that. I, I would assume. Oh yeah. Wonder Woman discovers the tombs of the ancient war where Darkseid is teased. How did you feel about this as an introduction to the idea of Darkseid in this world? Oh, man, this was awesome. This was <laughs> awesome. This was the best history lesson I've ever gotten. Right. Like, <laughs> this is the best thing I think we've ever learned in life. And we can actually utilize this for the rest of our lives to pass on to our children uh, because it was epic. I, I, I loved how they established it. I loved the communication from the Amazonians to Wonder Woman. I loved learning about Darkseid. And of course, we learn about the Age of Heroes. This was more like the Age of DC, my boy. This was the age of DC right here. And oh, man, there are so many moments where we jumped up and we're like, yo, what? What? Insanity. Yeah. Well, the, I really love about that tomb scene is that it's all visual and you get this depiction uh, kind of teasing the story of what happened in the past. But then you get a full on lesson about the history of the dark side wars, as it were. The Earth's mm -hmm. mightiest heroes band together to ward off this evil. Atlantis, the Amazons, man's armies, along with the gods and a Green Lantern. Then Whoa. <laughs> we see Darkseid himself. We see a full-on fight, or I'm sorry, Oaxus. We see him <laughs> fighting with his armies against the world of man. And this is the scene that you're talking about, us <laughs> freaking out. And it makes sense because this is just a completely prolonged version of what we had gotten in 2017. We actually get to see this Green Lantern character do something you know uh, we get to see these gods act in ways that are insane uh, i love the unity that's expressed within this moment uh dark side i thought he looked great in it uh, i thought he was actually a menace in this it worked better than it did with just steppenwolf in the flashback as it was back in um the 2017 version what were your thoughts on this <laughs> oh man can we go back to this image again like yeah. is this real is this actually we saw this right of course we saw this man um I, this is one of those jaw dropping moments um out of thousands in this movie uh this was one of those those big ones man this scene was herculean itself it was bombastic it was it, it, it is what makes me feel fulfilled as a fan, um, you know, on both sides, Marvel and DC. Uh, seeing this stuff was crazy. It's still hard to believe. It looked gorgeous, gorgeous on my TV. 
Uh, and that's something that they cannot take away from us, Julius. It is implanted in our minds, in our hearts. And a scene like this was just nasty, 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 nasty. The effects, the sound. I mean, Darkseid cutting off the hand. You see the ring go towards him. You see him try to grab the ring. You know you're thinking in your head, who's that ring going to, boy? Who's it going to? Is it going to go to Hal years later? You know? Um, man, man. It, it was... A sight to behold. Yeah, well, cut back to that picture real quick because I want to discuss. Look, we're going to get into a little theory right now, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who do you think? I don't think it's Abin Sir, the Green Lantern here, but do you think this is a Green Lantern of prominence, or do you think it's just a you know a random alien they wanted to tease the idea that Green Lantern was in the sector? I think it's a random one. I think it's just a random one to establish the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, right. I, 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 the thing is, I don't know if they would have name dropped because I don't think Warner Brothers was allowing him to name drop or even utilize some characters because we did learn that he wanted to use Jon Stewart, but Warner Brothers was like, nope, you can't. We're using him. We're saving him. Um, so I think it was just somebody to establish the Green Lantern Corps and get, die, and get diehard DC fans excited for the future in venturing into space yeah it makes complete sense uh i know that there were reports last year that you wanted to use ryan reynolds as the green lantern at a i think at the very end there was an appearance uh for ryan reynolds do, do you know anything about that and how would you have felt if we had seen ryan reynolds as green lantern yes they were trying they couldn't make it happen um i honestly think that he would have been able to redeem uh, Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. Mm. Look at the way that every character was redeemed here, you know? So there's no doubt in my mind that Ryan Reynolds would be the only exception to not being redeemed. No. The main problem with Green Lantern in that film was everything, right? I think except for Ryan Reynolds in some moments. When he did the oath, he owned that oath. You know what I mean? He owned that oath the same way that Mark Strong owned Sinestro. So... Seeing him in this movie would have just been uh, the cherry on top. And I think mm -hmm. anybody who disagrees is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely got excited either way. Just seeing, I mean, he went down like kind of like a punk. But uh, aside from that, it was a really cool moment to see. I love the imagery of that fight. You know, seeing those gods come in and, and take out these different parademons and shooting at Darkseid himself. Uh, cu cutting him they didn't aim for the head unfortunately but they still got <laughs> him to bleed got him to run away and i love that it was the combined forces of the planet that warded off these evil uh, beings which makes it even more worrying when it's like okay dark side has a grudge to hold mm -hmm. he is he's angry at earth right now uh which is really cool okay so i think that was chapter two now yeah. we have chapter three Beloved mother and beloved son. Wow. Okay. Wow. 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 Well, I mean, even the titles are wow, Julius. <laughs> well, when you hear that, you definitely feel like, oh, no, this is not good. This is messed up. This is going yeah. somewhere. We start with the introduction of The Flash. Yeah. Saves Iris <laughs> West. And more importantly, he saves the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> so the, okay so first of all 
humor in a Zack Snyder project is alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, humor like this is alien in, I feel like his projects, there, there are some moments that are kind of funny, you know, the, 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 I like your shoes. Batman says at that one point, he's like, all right, but this, I felt worked really well. Okay. So this scene is about establishing Barry Allen. He's going in for uh, an interview at this pet store. He runs into Iris West bumps into, they have that little connection. It's love at first night sight for them. Yes. Iris gets into a car wreck by this asshole who is eating while driving it. a semi. Uh, we get a really insane scene where it's all slow motion. And Barry is not even really running. He's just going really fast. He's walking over. He's examining Iris West, you know, looking at her, really examining her. And then he saves the hot dog, puts it in his, his pocket. I was like... <laughs> Yes, I am so down with that. Then he saves her. Go back to that picture, man. Go back to that picture. Yeah, okay. This was a phenomenal moment, I thought. Oh, man. I've heard a couple different criticisms of it going on too long. The music was kind of obnoxious. How did you feel when you saw this? Oh, man. Oh, man. Look, look. I could talk about The Flash all freaking day because he (laughs) stole this movie. The Flash stole this movie. They were able to goat The Flash. The Flash (laughs) was absolutely goaded in this movie. And it starts off with this introduction. What what an amazing piece of filmmaking this scene was here. Everything about it worked. From the characterization of Flash to the visuals. I love the song choice of it. My jaw was on the floor. My jaw was on the floor. I absolutely loved it. And what made it even better was the addition of the hot dog. I honestly thought this dude was going to put it in a bun, put ketchup on it, eat it, eat it, right? And be like, what's up, Iris? You know, it was amazing. Hilarious, epic, and just instant classic. And I think already put him on the level of Evan Peters' Quicksilver and then later on, you know what happens. Yeah, yeah, we know what happens. What yeah. a scene, what a scene, what a scene. Well, what's funny is that this really did feel so much different to what we had gotten previously with The Flash, where he's talking about brunch, he's talking about, you know, showing bellies and all that. This just felt like the, the proto-Flash, you know what I mean? The guy yeah. he was before he became who he should be. Yes. And I think that's really cool. And there are some some aspects of him that were just so on point. You know what I mean? The oh, the yeah. fun nature of it, the the wit. I felt that there there were just aspects of this that worked really well. One thing I want to talk about is the slow motion in the film. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are moments that where it's perfectly utilized. Utilized. Yeah. There are other moments where I don't think it is perfectly utilized. Uh, one example is where we get a scene Aquaman saves the day. He saves some, uh, uh, a crew member of a ship that's sinking. Yeah. He puts him in the Harbor. He walks away and then it's completely slow motion. It's everything is like going so slow and everything. And I thought that was kind of dragged out. Unfortunately, he's not even in the water. <laughs> it's Aquaman walking to water, which Corey said on DT, 
How did you feel about the slow motion and its utilization in the film? So it was revealed that, uh, and Wolf Hark here brought it up in the chat again, saying that the slow-mo is 10% of the film. Right. Uh, for me, there wasn't one second of slow motion that bothered me here. I actually really, really? I, I, I actually found it uh, aesthetically pleasing, surprisingly enough, because when you watch Sucker Punch, I feel like the slow motion used there it feels like a gimmick. But here, I actually, I, I don't know, I really liked it. Like, I didn't mind it lingering on. And mm -hmm. you speak on that Aquaman scene. I, I really like those visuals. Like I really liked the water kind of um Yeah. Just surrounding him. I thought it was really cool and I loved the uh the music choice there as well. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy it. And I mean, especially the slow motion scenes with the flash. Like <laughs> come on, man. Especially with that scene that we just talked about. I loved his movement. I loved his little just his mannerisms, you know, were so different. It honestly, and especially the scene where I think he's talking to Alfred or Aquaman, when he's eating, when the Flash is eating and talking, it reminded me of Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. I always <laughs> pictured that kind of characterization for the Flash because that's who he, that's what he needs to be like. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think that when it comes to the Flash, the slow motion is completely appropriate. But I do think that Zack Snyder fell into some of the old tropes that he got into and in things like Watchmen and things like uh, Sucker Punch and uh, not very much with Dawn of the Dead or 300 was another one. And I felt like that was just style overtaking the scene. Uh, and there's plenty of that that could be cut out because I do think that there is stuff in this film that could be cut, that should have been cut out for sure. Um, and I felt like a lot of those sequences, uh, ex excluding the flash moments could have mm -hmm. been cut or at least sped up, you know, something because I felt like they just went on too long. There were points where I was thinking while watching, I was like, okay, this is very beautiful to look at. This is nice framing and everything, but I do want to keep moving. You know, I don't want this to lose its pace. So where were we? We were talking about the flash. <laughs> That's right. Um, Another character that is really highlighted within this chapter, which is astonishing, is Victor Stone, Cyborg. Wow. We get yeah. a flashback scene. Uh, what were your thoughts on this whole sequence? Because it's what? It's like 15 minutes long, I, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a, quite a long sequence. And it just shows how much was cut out from him in the original oh, version. Man, yeah. What were your thoughts on this stark contrast of character development compared to what we had gotten before? I think both of our thoughts were like, oh, my God, they did Cyborg so dirty in this movie, man, or in the yeah. past movie. They did him so dirty. They cut out all the crucial parts of his character. You know, yeah. Zack Snyder before the movie was released was like, Cyborg is the heart of my movie. And we watched the 2017 version. We were like, what? How? that cyborg no way you watch this movie and then you understand then you understand i mean with the scene like this i loved these sequences here because even in the movie he's progressing he projects himself as himself in his prime right he has such a hard time accepting who he is because he's somebody that considers what happened to him as a curse right and he learns to utilize them as a gift so i even love that visually we see progression of the character he sees himself in his prime in those uh, the, the, that like uh, space that he puts himself in, the virtual space. And yeah. then at the very end, you get such a powerful moment where he finally accepts himself, um, you know, so simply with such a powerful line. And so I really loved the character development of Cyborg here. I was 
blown away. I was blown away that they were able to actually make him a MVP of this movie. You know what I mean? Crazy. Yeah, he's on, he's basically the heart of the film, which was so shocking because he had nothing to do previously. Um, it was Daniel say this movie made me hate the first one even more. At first, I wanted answers. After Snyder's cut, I want heads. I know, right? <laughs> like, yeah. oh my god, that's so. Well, funny. that's definitely Love highlighted Daniel, with man. Cyborg. You know, Cyborg definitely. Where did so much of that character development come from? It came from these scenes that were kind. You know, some of the, uh, the essential moments of why he's there in the first place, how he feels about the whole situation. Everything about it was necessary. Yeah. Everything about it was necessary. Oh, my God. What a mess. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I literally feel like the things that were added in this movie, they, they just improved it. They, they improved every aspect about it. The, the, the writing, the, the emotional. Uh, you, you care about Cyborg. You understand yeah. what he's going through. You empathize with him. You know, a major theme of this movie is I think the, the, the faults in our parents, right? And, and, and wanting to make them proud. But how do we do that if we feel like we're so isolated from them and we're so disconnected from them? Well, um, we still try to give it our best. You know, we still try to realize what they have done for us and uh, try to be our best selves. Oh, come on now. That was that was incredible. I mean, I, and I love that the, the the way it's shown visually, you know, him. There's this great sequence of him helping this like single mom who's very charitable in her own way, but is struggling on her own. And I felt like that established his heart his conscience, the way that he wanted to help people because of what had happened to himself. But there was yes. a lot of disdain for his own past, his own father. The death of his mother was on his mind. He blamed on his dad and everything. Uh, so much of it, so much of it I thought was was phenomenal, honestly. And I thought oh, Ray Fisher was really good as well. So good. And especially in this scene that T-Tona brought up, he says that part that he helps the lady it was amazing. I could not agree more. And I know you feel the same way, Julie. When he expanded that stimmy, that stimulation for that lady, that that uh, that uh, <laughs> that stimulus package that we all want, <laughs> I I was so freaking happy. Um, the look on his face was so beautiful, um, and it made me love his character. It it made me love his character so much. Yeah, everything about it, everything. I thought his father, who played Miles Dyson in the uh, Terminator films, I thought he was Man. great and much more uh, essential, much yeah. more essential than I thought he was would have been before. Uh, I, oh, God, what the hell, man? And speaking uh, of fathers, right? Speaking of fathers, we get an incredible <laughs> scene between the Flash and his father. Powerful. <sighs> what were your thoughts on this here? Oh, man. Oh, man. The fact that some of these moments here where we don't see superpowers, we don't see villains, it's just conversations between heroes we love. The fact that those are so powerful is just a testament to how effective all aspects of this movie were, right? Yes. B Billy Crudup as Ezra Miller's father is perfect casting. Perfect casting. You feel the history and love there between both of them. And just hearing what he tells his son. You know, to base, basically give up, you know, cr uh, a criminal degree, you know, give that up, you know, do something else. I don't want you to just constantly be invested with my life. I love you too much, son, to be throwing that away. I know how great you are, man. You know, I loved their relationship. It felt so real. It felt raw. And my God, without this scene between him and his father, 
that scene that comes later is nothing. Is nothing. So this work that is being done here has a payoff at the very end that cements one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen in the history of film. Yeah, come on. Billy <laughs> Crudup. I, I hear that they're going to recast him in The Flash, which is the dumbest decision they're ever going to make. Oh, the Especially after this scene. where Go back to that picture. Go back to that picture. T-Toner says he looks gangster. Yeah, exactly. Look at him. He's in jail. He looks like a, a monster. Um, yeah. No, He. I thought this was an incredibly powerful scene. They had such great uh, chemistry together as a father and son. Don't recast him. Please, this dude is a phenomenal actor. He sh- he should be in more stuff. Um, yeah. the, just the pain of him seeing his his son dedicate his whole life to him. Yeah, you see it. You feel every bit of it. There are some moments that of dialogue that are just kind of heartbreaking, of what they say to each other. Him saying, "I don't want you to come here anymore. I want you oh, to move man. on with your life." Yeah. Oh, you're gonna recast that guy? <sighs> yeah. Okay, so who's in charge of the crack today at, at WDB? I mean, come on now. I mean, that's absolutely crazy, ridiculous. It, it, it's crazy, man. I, I don't understand. I know it's scheduling conflicts, but why re- recasting him? Recasting wait. the guy? Yeah, wait. Like, yeah. wait for him. Pay him more money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do whatever you can because, I, I mean, just even look at this shot, bro. Look at this shot here. Yeah, that's I love, it. I love Barry Allen. He's like a shadow of his father. The great man yeah. that he is. And wow. and you could totally see it. You could totally see this guy being his dad, this kid being his son. Like, you could totally see it. Right. Do not recast him. Do not recast. Hashtag not my uh, crud up. <laughs> Hashtag crud up or shut up. Yeah, crud up or shut up. Hashtag save crud up, guys. Start yeah. that trend, guys. Hashtag Please. crud up or shut up. Crud up or shut up. <laughs> Uh, so after that, we get a cool scene between Batman and The Flash. Bruce Wayne introduces himself to Barry Allen in his home. It's almost the same scene from the 2017 version, except those awkward-ass reshoots are not implemented in. There's no brunch jokes. Thank you once again for that. Uh, it, it was a cool scene. We're going to move on really quick from that. Next scene we get, okay, is between Aquaman and Steppenwolf underwater. Whoa. It's a fight scene, which is pretty nuts. Oh, my. What were your thoughts on the yeah. depiction of Atlantis here? It seems like this that make me believe in cinema. <laughs> it seems like this that make me love talking about movies and love talking them to, to, to about them with such amazing people like yourself. This scene was bananas. It was bananas. I I loved it, man. Seeing Aquaman handle Steppenwolf, come in to save the day. So freaking sick. And I I really did love the uh, rural kind of look at Atlantis because it it did reflect the times, right? Especially since they're trying to protect the mother boxes. And I didn't mention this earlier, but I, I really loved how they kind of fleshed out the mother boxes themselves and made it exciting when Steppenwolf was coming in to take them. Very epic. Oh, come on. It was it was just it was phenomenal. Um oh god, I'm getting a call from Justin who doesn't know I'm live streaming right now. Oh. <laughs> this is him right now. This is Justin That's right now. That's him calling, calling me right now. <laughs> and I'm going to say to him, I I don't want you to come see me anymore. 
Oh man, dude! Daniel oh, in the chat God. says Mara finally used her powers the way we all expected someone with her powers would try to fight Stephen. <laughs> dude, exactly, exactly. I'm glad yeah. Amber Heard doesn't actually have those abilities. Oh, maybe she does. Oh, Who knows? Did she probably? That's why she... <laughs> Look at the damage on Johnny, man. <laughs> imagine, imagine it like Johnny Depp in that situation where the water is coming out of his body. Yeah. Hey, yo, though, look, and, and, and Wolf of Arg actually mentioned it. Mara sucking the water and blood from Stephen Wolf's face was nuts. Yeah, totally that was. agree. That was so Mortal Kombat. That was that so was Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Oh, my freaking goodness. Oh, my freaking goodness. Bruh, that was such a great scene. Yeah, I thought this was a cool scene that depicted Atlantis as a very rural area, as you said. But it was also kind of cool teasing what we would see later with Atlantis and Aquaman itself, where that was only like the surface level of Atlantis, you know? Yeah. The very, when we see Aquaman, it's under the sea, it's bright, it's different. It reminds me of Blade Runner a lot, whereas this reminded me a lot more of Lord of the Rings or something. You know, you get that scene with the ring wraiths in Fellowship where they're coming to the hobbits, they stab Frodo. This reminded me a lot of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I yeah. thought that when Aquaman shows up, it was pretty lit. Yeah. Okay. It oh, was no, it, pretty lit. It, it was every time. Every time these characters showed up, like you, it, there was like a jolt of joy. There was a jolt of joy. And it's not because we just love these characters. We grew up with these characters. No, it's because they established how awesome they were, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and through their words. You know what I mean? And then their actions came in to back it up. And it was yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's great filmmaking. It just is. It, it just is. That's as simple as it gets. And one thing <laughs> yeah. one thing I want to bring up also real quick is um, the introduction of Volko in this film, played by Willem Dafoe. How did you feel about his difference in this versus Aquaman later on? I loved it. I, I loved seeing the desperation in Willem Dafoe. He is such a great actor. He is a true thespian. All of his acting comes from his eye, like his eyes for me um, in every character. And they're all, they're all different. Um, so I love seeing that desperation and being like, you need to take this. You need to be the king and you need to be here to defend us. Honor your mother. You know what I mean? Honor your mother at least. If you're not going to honor us, honor your mom, bro. You know, so yeah. I really loved seeing the desperation from Willem Dafoe's character. And of course, it's also great character development because we see how he ends up in the Aquaman movie, which I think is such a natural progression when Aquaman just does step in the light as the king of Atlantis. Yeah, he was definitely someone who I felt was, uh, I mean, Willem Dafoe is a great actor, but, and it's really cool that he would do something as comic booky as this, you know, something that's just so like it's aquaman you know what i mean yeah. and i i really love here i'm trying to share the screen can you see it yes the willem dafoe yeah oh beautiful beautiful yeah. i mean i love it dude uh, it's so crazy because i don't know if this is a reshot from snyder himself or if this was in the original cut but every frame in this movie of course i thought was like really nice to look at despite yeah. it probably being a reshot or not you know I think it was a, a original. The idea was originally that he was going to be in it, introduced as Volko in yeah. this and would be brought back into Aquaman, which makes complete sense because, you know, they're trying to incorporate the lands, the lands of man, the Amazons, the uh, Atlantis people, the Atlanteans, <laughs> the Atlantis people. <laughs> 
And I thought it was just great. I thought he was great in it. You know, he's like, take your mother's trident, you know? <laughs> I thought he was phenomenal. Okay, guys, it's time for the chat questions or to interact with the chat. If you have anything to bring up, this is the time before we get into chapter four. I'm very excited. I mean, I see Daniel in the chat room where he brings up context is a very important part of this. Uh, context is definitely the key to what makes this work, I think. How do you feel about that, Daniel? Well, I think Daniel feels very adamant about it because he keeps saying, context, context, context. <laughs> um, honestly, for me, you know, I like I said, everything that they bring in this movie, um, I think serves a purpose. You know, we learn more about what happens. If, if you think that scene between Cyborg and his mother and seeing his mother die, you know, from a car accident is just context and it's just kind of there. Well, I think you'd be kind of mistaken because literally it shakes you to your core to see what Cyborg suffered, not only losing his mother, but losing his limbs. You know, so it's there to advance the character. It's there to advance our attachment to him so that by the end, when he says, I'm not alone and I'm not broken. It hits you like a truck. Yeah, which he does not say in the previous cut. Exactly. Doesn't say anything. He says Booyah. <laughs> Do you think Booyah would have worked in this film? I think Booyah would have worked during the football scene. Because you, oh, yeah. Cause you yeah, said it during that time and I was like, that would have been a great time to do it. You know? I did. That's true. I right when he scored the touchdown, I yelled, "Booyah!" Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it's a it's a celebration. It's a celebration. The character said it before. You know, um, and, and and my favorite version of Cyborg is from Teen Titans. So it's like that would have been a nice uh, moment to put in. You know, a, a celebratory gesture there. Um, Cody in the chat says they amplified the characterization by one thousand percent. Yeah, totally agree. If you look at Joss Whedon's Justice League, it was that pile of money before Cyborg expanded. <laughs> then that was Zack Snyder's version with that money. Yeah, his his version was uh, a Deathstroke's cut up here, yeah. and then the Snyder cut is the full hair of hair. <laughs> you know, exactly, man. Uh, I, Daniel also says, "My man." <laughs> I completely thought that was a Joss thing. That's another thing I want to bring up. There's a lot of humor in this that I thought at first was like Joss input. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much of what we see in this that I thought was originally from the Joss Whedon cut, just entered by Joss Whedon. Was there any moment where you were surprised? Oh, wow. This is in this cut? Um, Not one that comes to my mind immediately, honestly. Um, I can't How about my man? Word. How about my man? My man, I think for sure. I, I my man, I thought was just. I originally did think that was a Snyder thing. I, I did think oh, really? my man. Yeah, of course. Because um, when we <laughs> saw that, when we saw that first trailer, we got my man, right? So that first trailer was before we even got, I think, Joss Whedon's involvement. Uh, it wasn't until like trailer two or three where we got he's coming in to finish the movie. So I always thought that was a Snyder thing. Um, uh -huh. But no, there, there's nothing in here where I was like surprised. I like, oh, that's not a Joss thing. Mm -hmm. Well, before we get into the rest of it, Daniel does bring up another point, which I think is interesting, is how we look upon <laughs> Joss Whedon, you know, his input, uh, the whole fiasco of the behind the scenes of creating the, jo the, the Justice League film. We've seen the Snyder Cut. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think we should look at the 2017 movie moving forward? Well... 
mo- the second that I saw that Justice League movie, I've made it, you know, so apparent that I would never watch it again. And I never will. <laughs> and even people who considered it canon, I never thought of it as canon. That was actually my, my like, breaking point with DC until, of course, Joker came out. Until, of course, Shazam came out. You know what I mean? Aquaman. Um, Aquaman, yeah. Yeah. Which are all so great and enjoyable. So never will I think of that as canon. Never will I ever watch it again because we have the Snyder Cut, which I will buy on uh, Blu-ray, 4K, Steelbook. Can't wait to add it to my collection. My brother and I actually got um, oh, these sick Hot Toys, man. Uh, they just came in yesterday. Oh, no. <laughs> a, 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 a beautiful rendition of Ben Affleck's Batman in this movie with his uh, tactical suit. Absolutely glorious. And uh, I got Henry Cavill's Superman standing right next to Christopher Reeve right now. Uh, Cody brings up an interesting question. Did we walk out of the ju- – no, we did not. We made it through the whole thing. Um, we don't really walk out of yeah. films. That's not really RMO. I don't think you should, to, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. I, I know it's an honest reaction of like, yeah, I watched the I watched the movie, but I just couldn't take it anymore. But I don't – you want to be fair about it. You know, What if there's something later on that works for you? Like for me personally – I enjoy the corny, corny stuff with Superman by the end of that film of Justice League 2017. I enjoy the line, yeah, I'm also a fan of Justice and all that. I enjoy that. Look, I, I'm fine with it. I don't know what to tell you. It's fun. You know, him saying that, the Superman music playing. I'm like, okay, you know, this is stupid. As Look, if you go into the movie knowing it's not going to be a masterpiece, you're less likely to get angry. And... I wasn't angry. I was having a fun ass time with that dumb film with this. I had fun in a different way, in a very different way. <laughs> you know, I think you were having fun in that 2017 premiere because you were getting a kick out of seeing how upset I was. <laughs> you know? Well, that was part Cause, of it. Cause I'm not usually like that. You know, I'm, I, I'm not usually <laughs> like that, man. And, and I, I tell you, Cody, I didn't walk out, but I wanted to. I wanted to, and I never do. I never do walk out of movies, uh, even if I hate it. You know, um, the only movie I think I walked out of was Michael Bay's um, uh, Benghazi. Thirteen movie. hours. Yeah, thirteen hours. I just could not stand it. I couldn't stand it. I, I hated the tone. I, I hated um, how he was telling the story. Uh, I hated that he just gave into his, you know, normal tendencies of, you know, um, uh, you know, commercial product in his films and stuff like it. I just hated it. I hated it, and I walked out because I was like, nah, this is not the story that I wanted to see. Uh, this is not the story. This is not the tone that this story deserves. And I felt similar to Justice League uh, 2017. I felt like the reshots, what they approved on the big screen, was so disrespectful to fans that I, I, I literally almost gave up on the Justice League. But I love them so much. I love DC so much that I actually stayed through to the end. You know what I mean? Imagine yeah. that. Um and of course, I, I I try my best to highlight the best moments of that movie, but never again will I watch it. Never again. Oh, we got a one more question. This the, I think this will be it uh, unless we get one more after this until okay. we get to chapter four. What are your thoughts on Adam? Which I'm assuming you're talking about Ryan Choi from this film, uh, whether he gets a movie of himself, whether he shows up more. Uh, I'm curious how Ryan Choi, the Adam, will work out in a very Zack Snyder tone, I'm sure he'll go into maybe the horrific parts of shrinking. We've seen a lot with shrinking when it came to Ant-Man, you know, him going into the macroverse and all that, uh, how it looks, all that. And 
Yeah, I think it would be cool to see the Atom. Maybe he'll be part of the Justice League. They're going to need, if they do continue the Snyderverse, they're definitely going to need more people if Darkseid is on his way. And yeah, how do you feel about the Atom, Angel? I love it. I honestly wasn't thinking of Ryan Choi's Atom because uh, I'm not familiar with that uh, uh, legacy character. Um, but seeing him on the screen, so cool. Uh, I love the... Um, inclusivity i love the actor's uh, portrayal and i also love the potential for a movie starring in china with the atom like that is so freaking cool to me and if it happens i'll be first in line if it doesn't happen i just think it's missed uh, a missed opportunity here yeah i'd love to see the atom i mean i love shrinking so come on now (laughs) (laughs) and maybe and if we got ray palmer in it that'd be phenomenal (laughs) Oh, oh yeah yeah that'd be so awesome Thank you so much, Wolf Havarg, for the question. Yes. Okay, it's time to get back to the narrative. Here we are. We're going to talk about Chapter 4, which is Change Machine. Now, this chapter opens up with Gordon, Commissioner Gordon, played by J.K. Simmons, calling Batman with the bat signal. Okay. So, what did you think about this? seeing this scene with new context. So, so I loved the extra scenes that we got with J.K. Simmons. He always kills it. He is one of my favorite actors. He always kills it. Um, I saw this movie recently with him called Palm Springs. That I Oh, I watched high... that too. Oh my God. What did you think about it? I thought it was a lot of fun. Such a blast. Yeah. And, 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 and that ending with him, he is so awesome. I love J.K. Simmons. This was my tempo, to quote him from Whiplash. Uh, the scene where he's like talking about, I know it looks like Batman. Let me go talk to this guy, all right? Uh, <laughs> like it was such a great interaction between him and his fellow, uh, you know, deputies. And for him putting on that light, I love the photography of the scene. And oh my God, even the humor in this was amplified because that moment where everybody leaves and Flash is like, oh, um, th- they left. Oh, I was dying. I was yeah. dying, and it was because of J.K. Simmons' performance because he was such the 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 straight edge man, you know. Yeah, no, he's definitely pulling his whiplash card out in here, uh, which is which is scary actually for Batman. You know, because you Batman don't want to have to deal with all that. Uh, there's not a fucking Mars bar down there. What the fuck are you looking at? Yeah. I'm telling you, uh, man, that J.K. Simmons is a goat. He's in everything. He's phenomenal. There's a point where he's like, he says something like, uh, you think he worked for 20 years busting caps and then he'll turn into a villain all of a sudden, which he kind of does in the Batman vs. Superman. But I'm surprised. I'm really curious what this Gordon has to say or think about how Batman was conducting himself in Batman vs. Superman, branding people, killing people. How, how do you think? Do you think that will be explored at all if the Snyder Cut uh, universe continues, whether it be in a Batman series, they tease something with Deathstroke at the very end? Do you think this relationship between Gordon and Batman will be fleshed out to that point? Honestly, I hope they just talk about it once because I think there's kind of like no going back with that. Like that's something that they have to kind of retcon, I think. Um, You know, hopefully he just says, "Uh, what happened? Your balls drop off in reference. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. <laughs> oh my God. No, he, I think he would just beat the shit out of him. Honestly, like, like what he was doing with, um, miles teller in whiplash 
where he's like slapping him on key on tempo. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I honestly believe that this would be a phenomenal pair up in whatever series, whatever movie Ben Affleck and J.K. Simmons would be in together. Yeah. Wow, dude. He was actually really cool in this film. So good. such and, like, don't no, waste that. Don't waste yeah. it, dude. Yeah. No, go ahead, Angel. I'm sorry. I trust his barber. <laughs> you know, oh my and, god and speaking of the spider-man reference dude how cool would it be to see him in falcon and the winter soldier show up and, and comment on the new cap would love to see oh him. dude he's going to oh yeah. do you mean um do you mean a u.s agent yeah yeah US oh agent. well, well i feel like cap? i think he's down with that i think when sam gets the shield he's gonna be like disgrace disgrace <laughs> you know like, what is this uh yeah so i think that's definitely gonna happen okay so that scene is dope we get the justice league coming together cyborg joins them finally the bat signal looks cool batman on the gargoyle looks cool all that okay then we get the underground battle between steppenwolf and the justice league Batman and Wonder Woman fight while Cyborg and the Flash save the hostages. Aquaman comes in to save the heroes from flooding. Angel, was this one of... Come back to that picture. Come back to that picture. Yeah. Was this one of, if not the best fight scene in the movie? A thousand percent. A thousand Mm. percent. I love that this chapter is called Change Machine because that's exactly what Zack Snyder's Justice League movie is. It is a change machine. Uh, you know, that manipulated mass and atoms to create greatness, you know. Um, this was one of the greatest scenes that we've seen uh, in a comic book movie. Everything about it, like, I, I want to rewatch this movie again. You know, like, I want to rewatch it and keep rewatching it and, and, and experience those moments again. It was the first time in a long time where my brother was like, after the movie, I just wanted to live in that movie. Like, I just wanted that to be life, you know, because the day after we were at work and we're just working and we're, reality's hitting us. And we just enjoyed the experience so much. And it's because of this scene. I thought it was so freaking sick that Batman had created gauntlets that could mm-hmm. deflect the parademon blasts and also Superman's heat ray vision. What? What? So cool. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was ridiculous. There's this one point that Wolf just brought up that I got to talk about. Which is when these uh, this, these boulders are falling on the hostages. They're about to fall. And then the Flash, he zips on past. He zips atop. And then he just takes each piece of rubble. And you see all these different images of him running. And the light is beautiful. You see shadows of him. And there's one last one that's about to hit someone. And then Cyborg is the one to blast it out of there. I thought that was insane. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment right there where it's like, yeah, these heroes are acting like heroes. Flash is acting like the Flash. He's doing Flash type shit. What did you think about that moment? One of my favorite moments, again, Flash is such a scene stealer in this movie. Think about it. In the 2017 version, what did we get Flash doing? He said, I I, I don't belong here. I I just push people and and run away. Garbage. Get that garbage (laughs) out of my face. Get that garbage out of my face. Trash. That's not the Flash. That's trash. You know what I mean? That's the trash. And to now see what was actually originally intended. The original idea. Holy crap. Oh, my God. It was the Flash. It was the Flash. 
For the first time in our lives, Julius, we have seen The Flash on the big screen. And this is one of those scenes, again, that elevated the movie to a whole entire different league. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that was insane. There's a scene that – there's a part where um, – Daniel actually just brought up where uh, Flash is running across the whole tunnel. Wonder Woman is falling. She's going after her sword. And then he pick, he pushes it just a little bit to her way. And it, we see that in the original cut. But in this, I feel like the whole fight has just a better context to it. Where it's it's not, yeah. you know, Flash is worried about... So if he's worried, why is he doing it then? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, say save one person no how about i save the whole group bitch you yeah know? yeah like, exactly. what no dude that was exactly phenomenal this was it's, a great scene it, man it's a supercharged scene you know yeah. not only not only is he an mvp here but he's also an mvp in the resurrection of somebody that we're going to talk about later you <laughs> know, him putting that finger on the sword although it may not have a great impact on on, on the scene overall Man, it still looked dope as hell, bro. Enough. I don't, I don't care, bro. I don't give a damn. <laughs> it was everything. It was everything. It was cool. It's like the creation painting. You know what I mean? When he touched the sword, yeah. like, oh man, right. so cool. Yeah, no, see, that that's what it is. Daniel, you you're not an art enthusiast. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, no, that scene was great. When Aquaman shows up, it's insane. Batman is acting like Batman in that scene. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right. well, and we'll talk more about batman his utilization in these fights later on uh, uh i thought it was great in this scene when aquaman showed up there's a cool moment where the the place is flooding and then he just stays in the water for a real quick second looking and you see this look between him and diana because they set up that the amazons and the atlanteans weren't at, weren't the best of friends in the past you get this tension there visually you know how did you feel about that and do you think that that uh grudge was utilized well in the film i think so i definitely i definitely felt that animosity that aquaman had towards batman in their previous scene and seeing him show up i actually felt like a great sign of mutual respect for each other and aquaman finally stepping up to the plate and being like you're my man i'm here I'm here. Let's let's go. Let's do this. You know, trying to stop pollution. Let's go. <laughs> Pick up the trash. <laughs> yeah. So I I loved it, and I also loved seeing Batman. You know, helping Flash. Uh, you know, uh, get back onto the uh, the vehicle. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> oh, and there's not this one dumb moment where uh, when they shoot the missile. At Steppenwolf down the tunnel, there in the original one, he catches it and he looks at it. He's like primitive technology. It's like shut up, yeah. shut up. You're using yeah. an axe. Who are you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, and even even the uh, the utilization of Cyborg too in this. Scene. Oh yeah. What an improvement over. Excuse me, the 2017 version. So sick, and I love the shot through the glass, the shattered glass, to kind of represent that he's kind of he's still broken right now, but he's yeah. just doing the right thing currently because Diana told him. Use your gifts. Your curse can be a gift. Use it. And I actually did laugh when uh, he's like, all right, Alfred, I got it. He's like, do, do I know you? <laughs> exactly. Oh, that, Everything's another character. better. That's another character we have to bring up. Alfred. I thought Jeremy Irons was f fantastic. in the. Oh, I thought man. he was a really good Alfred in this. Exceptional. He's, 
he's definitely one of the comedic backbones of the film, which is so I like unthinkable because it's Jeremy Irons, who's this higher class of actor. We see him in so many different films as, as the villain. In this, he's really funny. He's a really good foil to Batman in it. Oh no, <laughs> Aquaman! Stop littering, boy. <laughs> yeah, and I think the great he's thing right, too, the great thing about uh, Alfred as well. It's so funny because I felt like watching this, their roles swapped from BBS. You know, Alfred kind of seemed more of the realist and kind of paranoid with the decisions that the league were making because he wasn't so sure of Batman's intentions, right? But once he learned Batman's motivations, where his heart was at, that's when they fully came together as Batman and Alfred, very reminiscent of the animated series and their relationship there, which made young Angel just sing inside. Oh god, there's this one moment where um <laughs> they enter the bat cave and uh Batman says something like uh this is my boss Alfred. <laughs> I, <laughs> work I thought was, yeah. I work for him. I love and it. then and then Jason Momoa says he looks at the bat cave and he's like badass Alfred. <laughs> I was like that's, that's funny. Okay, so then after this fight ends we learn that the anti-life equation is hidden somewhere on the earth. Dark side is after this. Now, Angel, do me a favor and explain what the anti-life equation is and how you felt about this reveal. Oh, man. It is one of the most powerful things that you can obtain in the universe itself. It allows you to have control over any sentient thing in the universe which is why we get a really crazy visual uh, you know, during a certain sequence of him controlling a certain person, which was also jaw-dropping. So yeah, it's basically something that will give Darkseid the upper hand on everybody and make him dominate everyone like he wants to because all he wants is control and to always display his power over everybody. So I love the reveal of this. I love that it was uh, in the soil of Earth itself because it gives a really strong reason as to why Darkseid would want to come to that world and send a servant like Steppenwolf to basically take it and reap it for it, all its benefits. So as a comic fan, I know why Darkseid wants the anti-life equation, and this is almost a direct motivation from comics dark side mm -hmm. wants the anti-life equation because he wants to rule everything but do you think that will be enough for him to be the epic villain that he needs to be in coming films because if, if we compare him to something like thanos right thanos mm -hmm. wanted the infinity gauntlet the infinity stones because he had uh, an ethical dilemma within himself he wanted to half everything everything of sentient life to save the other half and it added a new layer of relatability to the character, even though he still was a villain at the end. With Darkseid, all they're doing is setting up, he wants the anti-life equation so he can rule over everything. Do you think that will be enough? Does he need more uh, humanity to his motivation? No, I don't think so. I think with a character <laughs> like Darkseid, you don't yeah. need that. You don't need that. Just give him intelligence uh, and you're good to go. Because I think he is the exception when it comes to well-rounded villains because he could just be born evil. And born evil, I think, mm. is interesting enough in his case. And him seeking the anti-life anti equation to control everybody else is powerful enough. And I think my argument is valid when you watch the end of this because when you see a, a specific stare down, he's already on the level, if not more, than Thanos. 
Hmm, man, you know, I really want Than um, Thanos. I want Darkseid to be expanded upon. I want his character to be much more layered uh, than just what they set up in this film. And that's not up to the, the Justice League is not about setting up Darkseid's full motivation. It's mm -hmm. about setting him up, teasing him in the way that the first Avengers did with Thanos, which is cool and everything. But I do want them to get Darkseid, make him feel more like a three-dimensional character because I think that it worked so well for Thanos. You know what I mean? It made the Avengers Infinity War is almost the Thanos film. And yeah. it got us so excited about Endgame when he finally got his. So I want them to treat Darkseid with that same level of uh, weight and uh, intimidation. And, and there are plenty of reasons aside from the just him wanting to dominate everything that he may be going after the anti-life equation. I mean, I don't want to speculate, but imagine if he like, and this is just me spitballing an idea, but what if he wanted, he was wronged by the new gods and he wanted to use the anti-life equation to summon a massive army to go after them, you know, for revenge or something, right? There's something right there. Uh, so I'm just hoping that we get something layered with him. That's not a clone of Thanos, but something more human to him, you know, because I thought that's what made Thanos work really well. Hello. Totally. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. All right. So yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? No, yeah, I totally agree. Okay. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So we learn the purpose of the mother boxes. They reinstate matter mm -hmm. and they activate after the death of Superman. That's when they activated. So this is uh, what leads our uh, heroes to their next goal, which is to resurrect Superman. What were your thoughts on this as a motivation to bring Superman back as opposed to the 2017 version? Out of all the moments we've talked about, I know for a fact this was the loudest that we had screamed at this point of the movie. This was the loudest we had screamed at this point of the movie. It was because of how they were talking about Superman, how they were coming together. You know, th there's not just five of us. There's six of us. You know, they haven't fought us united. All those lines hit so different. They were much more powerful. Um, I love that they weren't just resorting to only Superman to save the day. No, they were a unit. They were the Justice League. You know, they highly respected Superman. You know, Flash, I mentioned earlier, says he was my hero. And that's how he thought of him. They were mentioning how they could possibly resurrect him. And what does Flash say? He goes, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say what we're thinking. And I love how the camera turns. And as it's approaching the top of the mother box, you see Cyborg give a visualization of Superman in the red cape and blue suit. And it was a perfect execution of this scene. And guess what made it the cherry on top? Hans Zimmer's music coming in from Man of Steel that made us scream our freaking heads off. My voice still hurts because of that experience. <laughs> Nearly a week later. <laughs> yeah, it still hurts. I still feel it like the bottom right of my throat. One line that actually got me freaked out was when Batman says, there is no us without him. Which whoa! I was like, whoa, whoa! Man. Batman yes. knows, dude. Batman knows, man. Uh, we know. Come back to that we, picture. We've been saying, Julius. Yeah, we've been saying. This, for me, is the shot of the film. This is the one that sums up everything about 
the movie honestly wow. i mean people could say it's you know when they're all together and everything this for me is what represents the motivation for superman coming back for batman bringing him back for batman leading this team and superman coming in to save the team this for me is the shot of Zack snyder's justice league I think it's phenomenal. I thought that whole little sequence of Cyborg showing the little hologram and then it, it uh, panning around the whole table, everyone looking at it, everyone's reaction to Superman coming back, especially Bruce Wayne's. I thought it was a great moment, a great visual moment that spoke for everyone else, spoke for the whole thing. I thought it was Com phenomenal. Completely agree. Completely agree with you. Um, I live for these moments. I live right. for these moments and it, it, it came, it came and it went <laughs> and, uh, it's just something we will forever cherish. You, it's those kind of moments that are impossible, impossible to bring the life on screen, but they did it. No, unthinkable. It, it, it was unthinkable, man. It's not possible. They said, no, it's necessary. And they freaking did it, man. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, there, I, and it's funny to look back on the original film where their reason for bringing him back was, he's strong, <laughs> he's strong, you know, we yeah. need him back. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then you get a, a, an odd moment where Bruce Wayne is yelling at Diana saying, it's like, I've never even heard of you. Superman was a was a beacon. Who are you? You know, like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, dude? That's so bizarre. No, but in here, it was litified. Yeah. It was litified. Him saying, I still, I get those Batman chills when Bruce Wayne says, there's no us without him. I was like, holy crap. Holy actual crap. That's and like, he's on, coming. Yeah. And he's coming. On and the level, coming. on the level of Cap saying at the beginning of Endgame, let's get this son of a bitch. Like, yeah. oh, damn, it's going on. Now, the, the last scene that we're going to talk about in this chapter is a scene between Martha Kent and Lois Lane. Very nice scene where they're catching up. Or so we thought. Yeah. This scene being great as it is at the very end is a revelation of who Martha is. And it is the Martian Manhunter. Now, <laughs> now the angel don't get ahead of yourself because I would like to let us speak for this moment. Obviously, we reacted in a very s specific way. Now, and now you're all going to be privy to it. This is yeah. us during the moment filmed by Angel's girlfriend on the other check side of the door. Can you see it? Can you see it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Everybody check this out. Look at this. This is us. Share the. Can you hear the audio on your end? Oh, oh, okay. How, how do you, how do you do that? Here, so oh, I'll remove no. the screen, and before you share it, press share audio on the bottom left so that everybody can hear our freaking screams. Okay. To this one of a kind revelation. That oh, here was, we are. I, I I still can't believe my eyes. I still can't okay. believe my eyes. All right, you here we go, it? guys. Check it out. All right, here we go. <laughs> okay so there it is 
that was our reaction to Martian Manhunter in the movie. Angel, they know how you reacted. But how did you feel after the adrenaline left you? Oh, man, it was crazy. Guys, if you had all seen how we reacted, it, it was we were screaming like we were at a One Direction concert. Man, like we were screaming. It was our inner child. It was our inner child coming out and seeing that character that we love and grew up with in the Justice League animated series. Um, after the adrenaline left, I just thought about how powerful that moment was to see this scene here between Martha and Lois, which I would have loved anyways if it was Martha. But for yeah. it to be Martian Manhunter, it just reminds us as to why this character is so significant in this universe because he's able to take on forms that can be comforting to others and can also make them believe in themselves again, which is why he says at the very end, the world needs you too, Lois, you know? And I love yeah. that even Lois Lane's character and Amy Adams performance is just out of this world. I love that. She also plays a significant role in this movie as somebody who reminds Superman and Clark Kent, most importantly of who he is. So this isn't just some throwaway scene. Hey, look who Zack Snyder brought in. No, it actually has deep meaning. And the fan service is just something I'll never forget. Yeah, look, whether we agree or not, whether it's just blatant fan service at the end, because I think the scene between Martha and Lois is very good alone. It could have ended right there without the Martian Manhunter cameo. Whether we agree or not that it should have been there or not, We've been fine with movies, comic movies that have had appearances like that, that have meant less, emotionally speaking. And I think that this, uh, though I don't think the little arc, the little arc of Martian Manhunter was fulfilled by the end, I still thought it meant something. It does bring up some plot, some plot points of like, wait, why didn't he do anything before <laughs> Where was he? Where was he during the fight? It's like, it's exactly. Like just, just now, I believe in the importance of Earth. <laughs> Where were you? Why did you nuke Superman, bro? Why did you nuke him? You know, why, why, why didn't you help with Steppenwolf? Or Doomsday. Or Doomsday. You know, where were you? Now I finally believe in the power of humanity. Where, where were you? <laughs> you nuked Superman. Um... So yeah, that was that was our reaction. That's how we felt. Cut back to that image real quick of Martian Manhunter. Check it out, everybody. Look yeah. at this. Yeah, look at that. Okay, that's some really nice design right there. Look at him. Yeah, yeah, freaked yeah. out. Beautiful, freaked out. I will never be the same again. Even though I could understand how some people who don't know about the comic uh, mythology, including the one guy who is uh, your friend who was there that night, he was like, "Who the f is that?" <laughs> He's lying on the couch. He's like, who is that? I feel bad for those people, but, you know. Yeah. Hey. Whatever. It, 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 come on. It's a second. We're, it's a second. We're, we're in 2021. If people are watching comic book movies, it's nice <laughs> to be informed on these things, right? That's why we do do. That's the point of this podcast. That's the point of uh, reading comics and, and, and informing others to read and watch great things because it's all about elevating your experience. And that's exactly what we do. Yeah, okay. All right, come on now. Let's move on to Chapter 5, All the King's Horses. Oof. Okay. So, Angel, this team 
the Justice League sneaks in to Star Labs to get access to the Kryptonian ship. In the scene before the resurrection, we see glimpses of the future. The death of Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Lois Lane, and the apocalypse. Cut to image, my friend. What was your first reaction to seeing this? Oh, my actual God. I I literally was speechless. I was speechless seeing visions of the future, seeing Darkseid come across probably be responsible for the death of Lois Lane with his Omega Beams and telling Clark Kal-El, this is all your fault, and controlling him with the anti-life equation. I was speechless. I honestly cannot believe we've actually seen this. I cannot believe it. Um, This is straight up Justice League Unlimited. This is straight up Justice League, man. Um, Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Bravo to them. They did it. They got me hyped as hell. A dream come true. Mm. Oh my god. Well, okay. So this is a really there's there's a moment where I was like, wait, what is happening right now? What because the, <laughs> they're about to resurrect Superman. It's this. It's a similar scene to what we saw beforehand. But as Cyborg accesses the panel, he's told about what will happen because of this course of action, and we see Wonder Woman dead with the coins on her eyes as a tribute to Hades. We see uh, Aquaman being killed by the Omega Beams of Darkseid. We see this moment. Cut back to that image. Yeah, we see this moment. And though the CG isn't perfect, it's still effective. It's still effective. And it's kind of clear that they kind of just, they cut out uh, (laughs) Henry Cavill of that scene in Man of Steel at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> they masked the masked him in there, but I'm I'm cool with it. I was very confused. I was like, wait, is this the end of the movie? But no, it wasn't. How did you feel about these visions as opposed to what happened in Batman versus Superman with the visions we got there? These visions were just much they they were better established. Mm-hmm. You know, because it they were glimpses of the future. You know, the scene in BVS where the flash comes back. It's a dream within a dream. And it's it's just like, uh, it just didn't communicate to me very well as to what was actually really going on. You know, someone who's actually familiar with Injustice or storylines where Superman goes evil and stuff like that. And Flash and Flashpoint has to go back to try to save the world and stuff like that. Even I was lost with how they communicated uh, future events. This one was clear as day. This This was Cyborg witnessing the future of what could happen. If Lois dies at the hands of Darkseid, yeah, you know, super Superman would be at his most vulnerable, which would be a perfect, perfect chance to use the anti-life equation on him and become Darkseid's herald. It gave me chills. Insane, man. That's kind of messed up, man. <laughs> okay, so uh, coming back to Superman, we have another scene where we establish that throughout the film. We see Lois's day-to-day routine, which is going to the memorial for Superman, giving coffee to a cop there, and remembering Clark. In this scene, she is going there for one final visit before she lets go, because she is convinced by who we thought was Martha to get on with her life. But then, (laughs) we see the return of Superman, and we get a scene where it is Superman versus the Justice League. 
So Angel, how did you feel about this whole scenario and what Daniel brought up earlier, which was context of why Lois is there, why Superman is back and why he's fighting the Justice League? How did you feel about this whole sequence? I thought it was moving. I really loved seeing her day-to-day routine. I loved seeing how troubling it was for Lois Lane to move on, you know, because that's something we all deal with when we lose a significant person or, you know, a pet, you know, someone we really care deeply for. And it felt honest. You know, I love the shot of her in bed and then her hand is reaching out to, you know, Clark's side of where he used to sleep. And it's just devastating. It's so devastating. It gives meaning to the scene where Martian Manhunter gives her advice. It gives meaning to her saying goodbye uh, and finally moving on and having the strength to do so, you know, which is also courageous of her. And it's just so much uh, better executed than that 2017 movie because it just feels like she just shows up. And it's like, well, that just feels like it's she was written there to just be there, you know, and it just it just feels like uh, it, it just feels so unnecessary, you know, here. There's meaning to it. There's meaning behind it. I love seeing her give coffee to the to the policeman. I love seeing her, you know, say goodbye every single day to that monument. Uh, and so when she does appear, it's like it's just impactful all around. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I felt like the whole scenario was just made sense. It made complete sense. They set it up beforehand and it was it was moving, you know, seeing Lois's reaction to Clark coming back, being there. We feel that she doesn't believe that it's actually happening, especially since she's just wishing he was still around. And now he is. And it just felt, it just felt, you know, I felt during that. (laughs) And it was uh, surprising, especially because she has a reason for being there now. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Now, what did you think about the fight between Superman and these heroes? Fight was awesome. The fight was awesome. You know, I love seeing uh, that same shot used again with Flash running behind him. And you see Superman is so fast, too. He turns back. The yeah. fight was awesome. It reminded me of, you know, me playing with my action figures. It was a really well-done action sequence. Yeah, it was It was pretty awesome. I mean, there, there are also little added parts of it where Flash runs into Aquaman. Batman... <laughs> is using those gauntlets to protect himself. He's like getting messed up on top of a car and everything. Yeah. They don't have that moment where he pulls him up. He grabs him by the face, <laughs> <laughs> which I hated, you know, do you bleed? Yeah. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. Um, and of course we do get that where he's deflecting heat ray visions. It's like, man, what else do I need to see? I've seen it all. Yeah. Phenomenal. So after that, Superman and Lois, they zip on out of there. They're they're just gone after that. And we see a scene where Steppenwolf comes to take the mother box from Star Labs. Mm-hmm. And he kills Cyborg's father or leads him to his death. Silas makes a sacrifice. And then he gets the mother box, Steppenwolf. So how did you feel about this death scene? And especially considering looking at the original film the theatrical cut where he doesn't die he's at the very end he helps cyborg make a new suit or something how did you feel about this as a turning point loved it i thought it was the definitive turning point in the story especially for cyborg who's one of the main protagonists this was the moment that cyborg needed to realize i need to become something more than what i think you know he went from an attitude of f the world Mm -hmm. you know to 
you know what? No, I'm, I, I love who I am now. And it's time for me to utilize every second that I have. Look at what my father did. My father sacrificed himself to allow me to shine as bright as he thought I was, even though he never said it. But his action said everything. So for me, that's what that moment meant. And that's why it's the definitive turning point in the movie. I completely agree. I feel like this established their relationship in a much better way. It ended their relationship in a much better way than what we saw before. This was a moment where you really did feel for Victor. He was just completely alone at that point. And it's kind of tragic that he was he was just so angry at his father beforehand. But there's a moment before uh, when they're entering Star Labs, they give a little nod to each other like, his dad has his back. He covers for him, lets him into the facility so they can do what they need to do. Yeah. I thought that the the progression of their relationship was really, really nice in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also there's a moment where he uh, he breaks the tape recorder that his dad left him. Oh, and yes. then something happens with that later. It's just, Cyborg is one of the more redeemed characters in the film, without a oh, doubt. Yeah. Without oh, yeah. a doubt. Yeah. And I, I hope we see him again, dude. Me too. Um, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about now chapter six, something darker. So in chapter six, Superman is reunited with his mother, uh, with Martha. They're on the Kent farm. It's a really nice scene. I teared up during the scene. I actually did. I was shocked that I felt that way during the scene. I was legitimately shocked that I felt that way. What emotion did you get while watching this? I felt I felt like my spirits were lifted uh, to a point where I could never come down. I felt like this was actually the first time that we saw Henry Cavill as Clark Kent. Yeah, and it's really down. It really comes down to the dialogue. What does he tell his mother? It's, I'm really me, ma. Yeah, wow. I'm really me, ma. And for me, those lines tell me their history. It tells me all the relationships he had in high school. It tells me all the people that he saved. It tells me that he is assured of who he is. I'm really me. And what does he also say? He says, I was given a second chance, and I'm not going to waste it. That yeah to its core is Superman. The team brought me back and I'm going to find out why that is Superman. And that's why this scene probably hit the hardest. Oh my God. Everything you just said was, was correct. Um, (laughs) Yeah. This reminded me of so much stuff. Uh, Christopher Reeve aspects of Christopher Reeve, Tom Welling, some parts of Brandon Routh, and even what Tyler Hoechlin is doing with Superman and Lois. Oh, yeah. This was definitely a more stoic Clark, but Mm -hmm. those little cracks of Clark Kent being kind of the, the Clark we know really broke through in that scene. And I thought it was great. I was like, oh, my God. Henry Cavill is finally being Superman, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I need to see another movie with him. <laughs> I need please. another movie with him, dude, especially yeah, after this. That's no, yeah. Come on now. Please. He, I yeah. thought he was actually really good in the scene. They redeemed him, bro. Like for yeah. me, they redeemed him. They did. There's a moment where he gets the flannel from Lois 
and he talks about how he loved it there, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's starting to remember everything about his life. And I'm like, wow, man, this is it, dude. This is it. I can't wait to see more of this Superman, man. Oh, yeah. And that's not even the best part. That's not even the best part. We'll get to it. Oh, man. Okay. So the next scene is the Justice League regroup and decide they're going to take the fight to Steppenwolf. Now, Angel, I know how you react when you see this shot. I know how you react when they're getting ready. They're getting the (laughs) tridents and all that stuff. I want to know how you react, Id. When Batman said, not us united. <laughs> oh, man, dude, I, I was hyped as hell. You all know me. Like, I like I, I just love feeling that emotion. It's one of my favorites. Um, And only movies really hit me that way, you know. And when he said not us united, it felt it felt earned. It felt earned. Uh, and for it to feel that is already an accompl- uh, an accomplishment especially with an un- an ensemble like this you know what marvel was able to do with several movies setting up their characters with their own Zack Snyder's Justice League was able to do it in one you know and that's something that we had asked for especially since we th- since they weren't going to f- follow the blueprints of establishing a character before and then the lead up film no they were able to do it with all the scenes that they used and gave us they gave us phase 1 in one movie Mm-hmm. insane insane and i love the moment where cyborg's willing to sacrifice himself willing to use the powers for good i love that line not as united but i don't yeah. care how many demons he's fought and how many hells never fought us not as united not as united that's Woo, me boy. trying to restore the snyder cut boy exactly dude <laughs> i don't know i don't know how you watch this film and say you know what we're not gonna do make a sequel yeah, or continue it in any way, shape, in or form. In any way, I, I you know what service we have, you know. I decided to be dumb today, and I'm not gonna do another movie. Anyway, uh, oh, man. so the next scene after that, which is even more epic than what Batman said, is when Superman goes to the Kryptonian ship. He walks through. Oh no, 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 no! You're getting ahead of yourself, yeah, now, bad. boy. Watch out! <laughs> he goes to the Kryptonian ship. He goes through all the suits in the corridors, the space suit, the armored suit that his father would wear, the colored suit, and then he gets the black suit, and he flies. How did you feel at this moment of the movie? It was almost too much. It was almost too much. This one, this one moved me. This one moved me to tears of joy. Um, It was just so perfectly done. It was so perfectly done. I love the new voiceovers from Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner. Uh, yeah, Rus- yeah. Russell Russell Crowe's Jor-El. And it's so funny because one of my things um, in Man of Steel I always thought about was like, man, you know what would have made that gravity scene much better with, when he's you know fighting gravity? Is if we would have heard those flashbacks uh, from the very beginning of voiceovers of them telling him, you know, you're, you, you were here to change the world and stuff like that. Well, we got that in this scene. In the flight scene 2.0 with Borel saying, love them, Cal, like we loved you. you know? Oh, my Kev- God. And then, and then Kevin Costner's Jonathan taking a complete 180 saying, I know. It's time. <laughs> show them who you are, son. Fly, son. It's time. Whoa. You know what I mean? Like it just it hit. It was cinema. 
This is cinema. And to see him fly again was absolutely spectacular. I actually want to show you my favorite shot. Oh, I know what it is. The entire movie, man. I know I what see it if is. I can bring it up. But first, before I bring it up, I want you to tell me, what did you think about this scene? Hearing those voiceovers and seeing Clark fly to the damn sky, man. Well, I'm surprised that, uh, what's his name? Pa Kent was being the optimist that he was in that scene because he's kind of dick in the last movie. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine he said something like, all right, son, now you have to turn the earth back and get me out of that tornado. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. living. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was phenomenal. It, it, it reminded me of Smallville at the very end of Smallville when he's mm. talking to Jorel and he's talking to his father and he, uh, Terrence Stamp is doing the voice for Jorel when Superman or Clark gets the suit finally and he says something like you honor me and every Kryptonian uh, before me you know and it reminded me just of that moment and how amazing that film was or that show uh, was at the finale and this was just like the updated budget updated version of that you know yeah. phenomenal and i thought that it got the essence of superman the icon status one thing that i want them to it, when continuing with superman and henry cavill if they do one thing i really want them to uh, heed is the line that jor-el says is love them the way we love you because oh. i want superman to love humanity no matter what i want him yeah. to love human and i think that's been missing in these past couple films with the exception of this you know I need him to become Superman. He's Superman now. I know he's going to get to the point where he loses Lois. Dark side comes in and everything. But for a while, I need him to be Superman the way we see Superman. Like the Tyler does it. Chris did it. Tom did it. Brandon did it. George did it. Everyone did it. I need him to have his time. And it'll make that moment more tragic when he does lose, lose Lois, you know? Yeah. I loved everything you were saying. This for me was the shot of the film. And I know arguably the shot of Zack Snyder's filmography. Come on now. Yes. Of course. Tell me I'm wrong. Of course. Tell me I'm wrong. This shot here is the embodiment of Superman. I mean, just to see his progression from a child to be like, the world's too small. Or the world's too big, mom. And she says, make it, make it small. And look at this frame here. Look at him dominating his senses. Look at him coming to the rescue and loving this world and wanting to be its protector. The protector of the universe. Superman, the absolute goat with characterization and emotional weight carrying him to the sky. This is Superman. And I loved it so freaking much, man. So much. Looks like Jesus to me. <laughs> yeah man so well, freaking awesome man he so didn't awesome. do that too much in this film which is thank you by the way uh <laughs> okay so he comes back right but the battle begins and we see the justice league work as a team together and everyone has something to do what the f Exp look at this shot right here this is this is a <laughs> this shot is so right epic. Here. this is a shot right here of yeah. them working together as a team explain the difference of the team's utilization in this and 2017's 
It's like you said, everybody had a part to play. Every, everybody had a part to play. And like I mentioned earlier in this breakdown, we didn't just rely on Superman to save the day. Everybody right. had uh, an integral part to save the day. And everybody proved their status to be on the Justice League. And a shot like this is just Jesus. to die for. To die for. What, what a blast. What a blast to watch this. It's phenomenal. All right. It's as simple as that. It gets phenomenal. Go, go back to that. Go back to that, that picture. See, that's me reaching for a reason not to love this shot. <laughs> it's really crazy to see that. I I remember us standing at that moment when yeah. it happened. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. We were like, whoa. And it's crazy because this was so cool that we didn't even need Superman. You know, like we right. didn't need to see Superman to already be like, wow, this was a, a great movie. Um, and then, of course, we get Big Daddy. And then, of course, Superman comes back to beat Steppenwolf's butt. This, <laughs> this was it. I love this moment. The line he says when he comes in to save Cyborg is not impressed. And then yeah. he uses, he, he freeze breaths the axe, which is a moment I screamed and jumped at because, oh, he used the freeze breath in a really cool way. And then he just broke it and he starts beating ass like unbelievably. He just starts beating Steppenwolf's ass. He cuts off one of his horns, <laughs> which is like, oh my God, what are you doing? How did you feel about this, man? It was cake. It was cake, <laughs> and I ate it all up. It was cake. His in his reintroduction, you're about to see Steppenwolf slash Cyborg in half, and for Superman to come in, get hit in the shoulder, the look on his face, um, what a presence. What a presence. I, I loved it, man. You know, him just, and it freeze. oh, my God. Like, it was Superman to a T, and it honestly makes me want to agree with Batman and say that this movie restored my faith yep, in yep. DC once again. Faith, Alfred. Faith. I actually want to bring this up. Um, Julius, what did this thing mean to you here? It meant everything to me. It meant Batman. It was Batman. You know, he was finally Batman again. And I really appreciated it. I thought, finally, so they can do it. They can... Yeah. They can direct these characters as they're supposed to be directed. You know, <laughs> like it was so boggling of the mind. Like, wow, they can actually do it. They know how to do it. They know how to write Batman as Batman faith. I mean, that's what it really comes down to when it comes to Batman. He does have faith in people. It's just his faith at times has been betrayed at points, you know, and that's why he's a tragic figure And this. I love the way that Batman was handled. You know, and that line right there was the reason, you know, that was it. Totally agree. It, it, it was everything. It was everything for us, especially. And, and, and I think it allows me to be more forgiving towards the interpretation of Batman and BBS because the line of him finally coming to realization that he was so lost, I think, allows for that character arc to be compelling. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, man, do we love seeing our boy back. Man, do we love seeing 
the Batman back, you know, and to hear him talk about faith, you know, like he believes in Superman, he believes in good, he believes in justice. I mean, I'm speechless. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's insane. So after this, after Superman makes a punk out of Steppenwolf, the mother boxes explode, destroying the earth, creating the apocalypse that we all know until the flash runs back in time. Preventing yeah! The explosion. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so angel, what were your thoughts on this climax here? Oh, my freaking god oh my freaking god were my thoughts you know i i thought it was over i thought we were going to get those future visions you know coming to the present like i thought that was happening oh we lost we're ending on a bleak note no 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 <laughs> not with the goddamn flash not with the goddamn flash seeing the flash just that move in itself i was taken aback and I knew, I had a feeling that he was going to run so goddamn fast that it would actually reverse time and matter itself. I, we were all screaming, he is not about to reverse time right now. He is not about to do what Christopher Reeve did in 1978. No, no. And guess what? That's exactly what the Flash did. This moment here is actually one of my favorite moments I have ever witnessed in my entire life. I wish I could go back in time to re-experience this over and over and over again. Not only was it visually mind-blowing, but the emotion behind it, under the surface, was on a whole other level. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that scene that we talked about earlier with him and his father. I loved his lines. The score was an out-of-body experience from Junkie XL, and the lines that he was saying. He was saying, you know what, Dad? If anything happens to me, I want you to know, I was among one of the best, the best of the best, being who I am. I love you, Dad. Oh, my freaking God. One of the best of the best, and it solidified Zack Snyder's Justice League as one of the best comic book movies I have ever seen because of this scene alone. No debate. No challenges. We saw that, Julius. They goaded the Flash. Oh, God. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> this, I thought, was a really great depiction of his speed, of the way he ran. The, the space aspect of it, everything about this, I thought, was just phenomenal. Uh, him saying all that stuff about his dad, wishing his dad well, hope, knowing that he may die. It was him becoming the Flash, which was great. He had something to do. He had They all had something to do at the very end, you know? And I loved it. I really loved it. And of course, the Flash saved the day. They beat Steppenwolf. Uh, a boom tube opens to Apocalypse. And the Justice League see Darkseid. They send back Steppenwolf's decapitated head, winning the day. Darkseid teases his invasion on Earth. Was this a good tease to the future? It was the tease. It was the tease. 
And anybody who doesn't think that there is any potential for the future is just, I'm sorry, foolish. They're foolish. Especially if you know the potential of the DC Universe. That moment alone of the Justice League looking at Darkseid dead in the eyes, knowing he has Omega Beams. This is goaded. This is goaded, man. Like, it's as simple as that. Continue this damn thing. You it's guys unfair. got it. Yeah, you guys got it. You got it down. You got the formula down. Yeah. I was kind of speechless at that moment, dude. <laughs> I think everybody was. I mean, look, Daniel's saying the face up. Ch- chills, bro. Chills. All, all six of them looking him dead in the eyes. I'm telling you. Oh, God. Lit. L- looking at them, not even saying anything because nothing has to be said at that point. Them just yeah, staring off at each other. I wish I had Flash's power because I would say the same thing. Make your freaking, make your own future, make your own past. It's all now. Restore the goddamn Snyder Cut, man. Yeah. Look, after a moment like that, I don't know how you don't continue. <laughs> if after you're a, <laughs> After a face-off like that, where you know good and damn well that people want to see it, yeah. I don't get it. Now, maybe they're they're just full of it and they're going to definitely make a sequel and they're just putting this out there so people will talk about it more. That's cool, homie, but don't pretend because we know for sure this is going to go somewhere. I mean, come on. The, the look, the look, the look was it, you know? And I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm genuinely shocked. Oh my god. Okay. Same here. So now we got to talk about the epilogue. Now, I want to make a note, all right? Before anything, before anything, an angel may disagree with what I'm about to say, but this is where the movie kind of fell a little bit apart for me. The epilogue begins at 3 hours and 34 minutes into the film. It's the ending. So they have to wrap up plenty of storylines with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. So we get all these different things. We get the great shot with that. Actually, this was right before the uh, epilogue with the Justice League together. We get to see uh, the Bruce and Diana going to the old Wayne Manor and hopefully establishing it as a Hall of Justice. We get a new variant of the post credit scene with Lex Luthor and Deathstroke, where Lex Luthor reveals the identity of Batman to Deathstroke. And of course, the last shot of the main story is Superman taking off his shirt, and we see the S. Now, before we get into the post credit scenes, right, how did you feel about the main ending, which is them wrapping up the Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. How'd you feel about that? I love the way they wrapped it up. I think that shot in the top left here is um, Justice League come to life from the animated series. Yeah. Uh, not just visually, but the feeling itself that it gives off. Uh, I can hear that music humming. Dun, 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 dun. Loved it. Loved how they wrapped it up. And I actually agree with you. I, I do feel like the epilogue definitely felt tagged on 
but it it was mostly i think for practical reasons which is to continue the snyderverse you know i think i think it's snyder's way of saying here's the potential it's in warner brothers court now and if they don't do it they're the ones that look silly and i think it, it it's warranted because mm-hmm. it's true he gave us a great film and now look at all these little easter eggs we can go in so many different directions you know deathstroke can give us an hbo max series with batman i want that you know what i mean uh bruce and diana saying there's more chairs that we can add i want to see more justice league characters i want to see shazam i want to see martian manhunter i want to see adam ryan Choi. you know uh also the nightmare timeline yeah they can give us they can give us an injustice movie you know maybe they can have black canary in there and, and make superman's ears bleed you know they, they'll need they'll need the help. You know, so all those things, it's it's for practical reasons. In terms of the story, I didn't really need it because I thought before the epilogue it was perfect. It was perfect. The nightmare sequence, though, especially with Joker, I was like, eh, right. You know, I was kind of like, eh. The, the the line that he mentions with, you know, why would you send Wonder Boy to do a man's job? You know, I thought that was a cool line because, of course, you know our connection to under the red hood is timeless, but still Jared Leto's Joker laugh. Ridiculous, ridiculous, (laughs) unfortunately. And I've seen him do better. Of course. So the movie for me ends the moment he takes off the shirt and shows the S that's when the movie ends. The stuff after are post-credit scenes. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they weren't post-credit scenes in the film, it ruins the end of the movie. It drags it out completely. I, and I, I, it has a similar problem with Batman versus Superman where it doesn't really know when to end, you know, even though mm. it had a better moment of like, that's it. You know, it had a better mm. uh, trajectory of, okay, we're going to end it right here. This yeah. just kept on going. That other stuff works better as post-credit scenes or extras. Even mm. I, I understand what you're talking about practicality and Daniel even brought up a good point about how, uh, Snyder had this one shot to throw every single idea he had in it. There are ways to do it better than how it was done. And I think uh, I would have had more respect if he cut that stuff out because it, for me, it affected the story in a way that was detrimental. Unfortunately, the nightmare scene begins three hours and 43 minutes into the movie about nine minutes after the epilogue begins. Mm-hmm. And we see the world destroyed and Batman with a gang of heroes and villains. We get a scene with Batman and the Joker. Uh, you told, you just said that you didn't feel it. You thought it was okay. Right. You know, it's whatever it is. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. aftermath and all that. Yeah. Batman. It's cool to see Batman and Joker together, but you know, actually from what I understand, they weren't on set together. So that's why they were shot those ways, you know? Yeah. Out of focus and stuff. Out like of focus. That. Yeah. yeah. Try to cover the green screen. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't on, they didn't make it to set together, which is unfortunate. But I felt that this scene could be cut. I felt that the uh, the scene with Martian Manhunter could be cut. Mm. I felt the one that could make a difference was probably the, uh, the Lex Luthor scene as a post credit scene. Once again, these work well as post credit scenes, shorten them up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, plus, what I got to bring up Superman does come down to break up the party in this nightmare scene. Whew. 
and it wakes Batman up again. So it's another nightmare sequence. This is the stare down that Angel was referring to earlier. Uh, and it's cool to see all this stuff. You know, it, it is cool aesthetically. And it does, I agree, it does tease the future, a, a possible hopeful future. Mm. However, the scene ends three hours and 53 minutes into the movie when the epilogue begins uh, like 20 minutes beforehand. And I just feel like all that stuff could be cut out and make a tighter film. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Um, I, 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 I look at it more from a practical standpoint, you know, cause I feel like he was given a hand and, um, you know, I, I kind of agree with what Daniel was saying here. You know, WB shot themselves in the foot by allowing the Snyder cut. They embarrassed themselves by telling us they had this, but went with the other now more idiotic still by not continuing it. So this for me was like Snyder, Snyder's last chance to be like, Here's everything I got. Here's everything that could happen. Again, it's in Warner Brothers court to greenlight it all. And right. I feel like all the character work is done. All the story building up to those storylines. Nightmare, you know, nightmare sequence, a whole movie on that. Um, you know, Flash coming back in time to save the universe. Uh, you know, Deathstroke versus Batman. Right. All that is there for practicality. But I agree that when watching the movie and just judging the movie on itself, you watch that epilogue. And it feels kind of thrown in there. Yeah. It feels thrown in there. And so I do agree that it, it drags out, but it doesn't affect the overall experience that we had because it that just it was unstoppable. Uh, I wish I could agree with you, man. I feel like you got to know when to wrap something up, like when to. And I think the moment he pulls off the uh, revealing the S and everything. Like that's the moment that works complete, like thematically yeah. completely. It works uh, tonally wise. It's about the return of Superman. Really, the movie opens up with Superman dead. This one opens with him alive. You know, not only mm -hmm. different uh, living and dead wise, but color wise. He's wearing this, uh, the colored suit at the beginning. He's wearing the black and white suit, signifying his return. And I felt like, damn, that's that's the way to do it. You know, that is phenomenal right there. With this stuff, do you think it would work better if it was post-credit scenes and if they were tightened? You know, the, the Batman and Joker conversation goes on for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it's nice to have that break from the very ending. You get the credits and then you get something at the very end because it's a break between the film. But the way they latched it on, it was just one whole thing. Yeah. You know, so that's that's why I think it feels like it's dragged on because they didn't have all those credits coming down. Us two kind of absorb the movie itself okay that was the ending okay here's the post-credit scene of here are my ideas and here's where it right be. and here's and something i want to bring up which it may be considered nitpick and it'll be the last thing until we get to the final chat questions but i'm curious how you feel about it the scene with batman and martian manhunter right mm -hmm. yeah martian manhunter comes over to batman he talks about uh, everything with uh, dark side and all that he introduces himself do you think that this scene fit with Batman? I did, actually. I, mm -hmm. I loved what Martian Manhunter said. Him as an observer from the outside, for him to tell him, like, I've seen what you've done. I've seen the incredible people that you've brought together. Your parents would be proud of you. You mm -hmm. know, I, I, for me, that wrapped up the arc of Ben Affleck's Batman. Somebody who just felt so lost and really lost his way as Batman and found himself again uh, in the light with uh, Martian Manhunter kind of guiding the way and kind of encouraging him again, saying, your parents would be proud. And it wraps up the overall theme of this movie, which is to overcome the odds, to 
be greater than you even think of yourself so that you can um, allow your parents to live on through you uh, with your actions. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I personally, I think this scene would have worked better if it wasn't between uh, Martian Manhunter and Batman. I think it would have worked much better if it was actually Clark in that scene. And I understand that this was one of the reshoots and it was probably near impossible to get Henry Cavill to come back for the reshoots. Um, So they did what they could, but I felt that not only because they're both aliens, but because that, that actor was introduced in man of steel. He had a connection. He posed as his mother, like his scenes are earlier in the film connected with Superman so I feel like thematically it would just work better if it was Clark who he was talking to. You know what I mean? They both connect on a better level. Uh, Batman or Bruce, Ben Affleck looked tired <laughs> and visibly different <laughs> from how he's looked before. So, I mean, that's could be considered a nitpick, but I do think that it would have worked better. Yeah. Yeah. Plus Superman and Bill Martian Manhunter. Who don't want to see that shit? I know. I know. One day. One day. Yeah. One, one day we'll get a cohesive universe. Right. One day, hopefully. Uh, so that is it with the chapters. We're going to have final chat questions. Uh, if we have any, I know Daniel's been going after it. He's been talking about Dave Chappelle. <laughs> hey, I'm a nice guy. I'm on your team. Cool. Bye. <laughs> Batman says, wait, what did you think about Zod? Jackass. <laughs> Well, that's a good question. Uh, oh, hey, he actually has a good question. Didn't like the reveal. Felt it took away from the intimacy between Martha and Lois. Nitpick, though. How do you feel about that, uh, Angel? Do you think that that's true? That no. It... Oh, okay. No, and and for the exact reason why I explained it. No. <laughs> like, we saw the general involved with Lois uh, constantly. And for him to be the reminder, we know already how Martha feels towards Lois. We, we know what their relationship is already. You know, again, a scene like this between her and Lois, it, it would have been redundant because we've seen that already. So for Martian Manhunter, like I said, to go undercover, to utilize his powers, um, to take on uh, these appearances that make others comfortable and make others believe in themselves is what makes that scene so, you know, uh, worth yelling from the top of our lungs, not just seeing him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't know. Uh Bro, we just saw Martian Manhunter for the first time, bro. Like, oh <laughs> uh, shit! And then Daniel responded, but it wasn't Martha. And do we? The last time we saw them, she called her thirsty. Yeah, and jo- and Joss is cut. <laughs> Daniel, listen, look, I love you, man, but you're not Martian Manhunter, all right? <laughs> Cody I says, wanted- "I want that stroke Batman HBO Max series." I feel like what they could do is a Deathstroke series, him hunting Batman, because I don't know if we're going to get a Batman series. I feel like if we get Ben Affleck again as Batman, it will probably in be in him appearing in other people's stuff. Right. So if it was a Deathstroke series about him hunting Batman, that would be freaking cool. I think that would be really cool. And, and hopefully they do something with that. Don't let us just have nothing anymore. Exactly. Come on now. Big Fredo joins the chat. Thank you so much. He says, now we just need Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and we have the league. Yes! Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. I can't wait to see our boys, yeah. man. We our need a lot of green. 
we need a lot of people. Hal Jordan, Martian Manhunter. I want to see Shazam interact with some of these characters now. I think that would be really interesting, even though I don't want him to say, you know, the F word. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that would be pretty fun. Oh, Daniel said something else. I was still shocked, huh? But then thought, oh, wait, but it wasn't Martha then. Go on, Angel. <laughs> Go on, Angel. Okay. So he really wants to see Martha. That's fine. You know. <laughs> Martian Manhunter dog. Like, stop. He's trolling. All right. Dara says, I so badly want to see more Martian Manhunter. Loved that he cared so much about what Lois. Uh, Love that he cared so much about what Lois, what he wanted to see her, and the line, the world needs you too, Lois. Chills. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I was saying. I share the same exact sentiments with you, Dara. It was a moving moment, you know, as flashy as it was, it was a moving moment that served purpose. Mm -hmm. And okay, and Brig Fredo said something else. And maybe we could get live action Teen Titans as I want to see Dick Grayson, Starfire, etc. in live action. That would be pretty cool. I know that Dick Grayson is dead. They confirmed that Dick Grayson was the Robin who died, uh, which is not something they bring up a lot in the film. How, do, you, do you think that? It worked despite that motivation that was heavy in Batman versus Superman or or not. I mean, I kind of forget about the Robin deal from BVS. I think they I think somebody at Warner Brothers told him you can't touch that storyline now. I think somebody told him that. Really? Um, That's what I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like someone was like, you can't touch that. We're going to do that soon. Maybe Matt Reeves will, you know, do it soon or something or I don't know. Um, But I think they might have future plans for. Nightwing and Under the Red Hood storyline. They're saving it all. If they're already talking about saving Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, I guarantee there's conversations out there that are like, you can't do this. Yeah. Well, I hope something's done with it because it's barely discussed in this, only in that scene with Batman and Joker, Mm -hmm. which is still very vague. You know, they don't say Dick Grayson. They don't say how it happened, why it happened, how long they were partners or anything. It's really like peripheral the way Robin is treated within this world. So I mm. kind of hope they don't go over it. <laughs> you know, at this point, it was just like, all right, all right, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Cody brought up, who's ready for some Godzilla versus Kong? Bought my tickets already. So pumped. Oh, you're going for the theater, huh? Well, be safe, man. Be safe at the theater, dude. Yeah, take care of yourselves. I can't wait for that movie. Something we've all been waiting for our entire lives again. Yeah, no, uh, and, and and now a, a new debate's going to be starting. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the Batman f bomb? I thought that they were very they they were kind of hit and miss. I mean, there's one where he's like, "You want to f with me, demon bugs? I got raid. You want to f with the raid? You know." And then there's another one where he's like, "I will f and kill you to Joker," and you know, I. I don't really care. It's not really important, you know, and I don't, like I said earlier on, I don't know if the R rating was really necessary for the film because the overall tone is not this incredibly dark thing. You know, we see dark stuff in it, but we've seen dark stuff in like Avengers in Captain America and in Thor, you know, how did you feel Angel? Uh, I thought it was shocking. I didn't Mm -hmm. expect that to come out of Batman's mouth. Um, but, I mean, I guess it could be argued that it would, I guess, make sense in that timeline. Things are just so horrible that, you know, he's just going to let loose and 
you know, really tell Joker, I'm going to effing kill you, you know, slowly, surely. Um, it just adds, a, I guess, a new level of intensity to Batman uh, that is kind of scary. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm indifferent about it. I, I I didn't need to see it. It was shocking. You know, it, it gave that moment a, a level of intensity that uh, something like a PG-13, you know, probably wouldn't have. Yeah, and also uh, I thought it would be much worse the way it was implemented with Batman. You know, I thought he was going to say, I'm effing Batman. You know, yeah. like I, oh, I literally I thought it would be that. I was scared for that. Yeah, because that, that's something we don't need. <laughs> yeah, no, that's try hard. Uh, <laughs> theaters aren't open for you guys yet. I think they are, but I'm not going. Yeah, yeah the, they're opening. They're opening soon. I think uh, Regal said that they're opening mid-April. Um, but yeah, no, if, if we can keep it contained as much as we can, we're going to try to keep the experiences, uh, at home cause they're, they're still pretty epic. But for those of you who go out and, uh, enjoy the movie theaters, enjoy it for me, you know, enjoy yeah. it for us, you know, have a blast, be safe, you know, wash your hands and have a great time. You know, that's, that's what the movie theaters for is for escapism. Yeah. The least you can do is just act safely and not like a jerk. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, okay. I think this will be the last comment. Dark side looked evil. He looked super intimidating. Snyder done well. Yeah. I thought dark side was, he looked pretty great. He looked really cool. I, I'm, I'm, he's up there in terms of look with Thanos for me. And I'm really excited to see more, hopefully more of him. How, how about you, Angel? No, same here. I could not believe that he looked that good. Like he looked amazing, even without lotion. You know what I mean? Like he, he <laughs> crusty looked, ass. Yeah, he looks so damn good. I was so impressed with the visual effects. I think the superstars of this movie for sure were Zack Snyder and the visual effects team, and what they were able to do with seventy million dollars uh, to complete this movie uh, during a pandemic. Kudos to them. Um, I, I I really did love this movie, man. And I just want to remind all of our audience, to those of you who watched this from beginning to end, thank you all so much. You are not broken, and you are not alone. Oh, man, that's perfect. Perfectly said. I'm glad we did this little series, excited for what would happen with the Justice League film, and we finally got it. And here we are at the very end of it, and I'm excited for what's next. I know The Suicide Squad is the next film, which I'm very excited for, by James Gunn. Maybe we'll talk about it. We'll probably talk about it. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. One thing I want to say is for those who watched every day and was participating in the live chat, like Cody, like Amanda, I want to thank you guys so much for that because it means the world that you're listening to what we have to say. And I want to thank the guests that we've had. We had Daniel, we had Leo, we had... uh, uh james from real james we had ben from blockbuster mentality angel's been part of this brian was helpful so thank you very much for everything guys cody has one last question which is when is the x-men fan cast i promise you that is on we're gonna do a falcon and winter soldier live stream that is the next thing right after that it will probably be next week at some point i promise you that is going to be happening and it will be excellent as it were uh guys thank you so much for listening if you have any problems let us know and we will help you out in some way whether it be with content your entertainment is our job so please subscribe and once you subscribe you will get us to our goal of 10,000 subscribers 
and it will be equivalent to the armies of man, Atlantis, and the Amazons banding together to fight off Darkseid's evil dickishness. I'm Julius. And I'm Angel. Stay safe and goodbye. The GOAT Podcast is proof you don't have to look any further for movie news, reviews, trailer reactions, or special discussions. Subscribe, get notified about what's going on, and I promise you'll be entertained by our daily content on YouTube. If you want more, we're on Twitter at GOAT Film Podcast, Instagram The GOAT Podcast, and The GOAT Movie Group on Facebook. Get connected with us, see what's happening, and make sure to love it while you're doing so.